Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life, this is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is hump day. It's the middle of the week. It's the moment when the week just begins to tip to the better side of things. And speaking of tip to tip, this is Morning Combat. Hello, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I am one half of your hosting duo. I join you right now live from the nation's capital here in Los Estados Unidos. And I am joined, as I always am, by royalty from uh, Naugatuck, Connecticut, however you pronounce it. Yes, He's the king you. of Connecticut now that apathy has retired. It's it's Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm great, Luke. It's Wednesday. I'm so happy to be back here just two days before I finally get to host again on Friday. But we do have a great <laughs> show in the midst, Luke, of all things Wilder Fury 3 Fight Week. Um, I mean, what a time to be alive, Luke. I mean, let's not bury the lead. Today is not only the return on Morning Combat of the Wheel of Death, but today, for just the second time ever, we go celebrity style on the old WOD. And Luke, your boy BC bumped up the guest list, so to speak. Okay, I know mm. last time it was like a lot of Damien the Donk, a lot of, uh, you know, Bronx. I mean, let's right? be honest, it was a lot of zeros, you know, a lot of ones and zeros, like the binary wow. code. Well, shout out to Billy Q for helping us out last time. Yeah, he uh, was a week, 100. Luke. He was a one and two zeros. How about that? Uh, this time it's going to be fantastic. So I'm ready, Luke, because, you know, let's be really honest. You can love or hate a lot of the shtick or the shit that we do, and we try to adjust to the fans' taste. But nobody's nobody's doing what we're doing. I mean, all the other shows with the bumped up kicks, right? Better run, better run, outrun that gun that is Morning Combat because it, it's coming. It's you know you want to. It's coming. I hate that song. Uh, first things first. Thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe, please. We are driving that number. Uh, we are obviously on the goal to 100k. We are just about a. I mean, on the doorstep, on the doorstep. We need that push. So if you've not subscribed, it if you've been a taker, it's time to be a giver. Right. Oh, Give us yeah. a subscription. Oh, yeah. uh, and by the way, if you want to follow us on social, there's your lower third right there. You can see everything. Uh, you want to try Showtime? You certainly may. Showtime.com. Get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you may go do whatever else it is that Look, you want to do Look, real quick on Showtime, and maybe as a you know addition here, I am halfway through season one of Billions, and I know Billions just had its season five finale uh, and had, you know, a big announcement of season six coming back along with one of the stars, unfortunately, leaving the show. Luke, I am enthralled, addicted, That's and good. fired up 
Tell me it, it stays this good because it's so good. You want to try this shit for free? Go to Showtime.com. I love this. I, I I feel like I'm the I'm the Bobby Axelrod of, of the MMA media game. Look, I'm, I'm sorry. I will oh. say that I will say that like any show, not every season is equally good. But if you make it to season five, you're gonna love everything more more or less. You're gonna have a great time with it. Uh, it's a it's like obviously you know Showtime is the partly you know produces the show basically and uh, treats us real well. And we're part of the family, but uh, that show is legit. I don't care who you work for. I don't care where your checks come from. It's an amazing show. And if you don't believe us, just hear what the critics have to say or your friend. I don't know. I don't know anyone that's watched Billions and been like, yeah, it wasn't very good. And like, I've never heard that. So keep that in yeah. mind. Um, reminder. Uh, we're doing we're doing fan subs today. We're doing dead wrong on Friday. You got to get those in morningcombat at gmail.com. Morningcombat at gmail.com, of course, is your best and only place in BC. It is back. And uh, we got to remind the folks there's MK and then there's DK and then together, Bay Bay. It works. Uh, folks, two of boxing's biggest heavyweights in Vegas are battling out this weekend for the third time DraftKings Sportsbook is putting new customers at the center of this weekend's bout where they can't miss off for BC. All you got to do is bet $1 and you can uh, and win 100 in free bets if either boxer lands a punch, which, you know, probably they will. Uh, watch the fist fly this Saturday as these guys turn their bad blood into your payday. Just bet $1 on the boxer that you think will win the main event and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you $100 in free bets if, if either lands a punch DraftKings, of course is a safe secure and reliable way to bet best of all bc you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want download the DraftKings sportsbook app and use the code combat combat with a k k-o-m-b-a-t turn one dollar into 100 in free bets if either main event boxer lands a punch combat and if, this saturday DraftKings. and look we know with heavyweight championship fights heavyweight boxing in general one punch could change everything and you've got an underdog here DraftKings has deontay wilder at plus 240 Minus three ten Tyson Fury. We have an underdog here who can who can turn the lights off on a career with one punch. So I was gonna you want to get those, involved. Those what are uh, those are if you like underdogs, that's a great bet right there, dude. You damn that's right. A, at two forty, I'd I'll take that bet. Sure, like and I if, think Fury's gonna win, but at plus two forty, yeah, I'll take that. Sure. And if you want to mess around with a hundred bucks on a great app like DraftKings and and you know try it out, test the waters for free if it's legal in your state, then download that today. I mean, look, you talk about the consummation station known as the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Two powers, DK and MK coming together. This is like that great nineteen ninety five movie Heat when De Niro. And uh, Pacino, you know, finally, finally <laughs> met in the same scene. That's such Th a great scene. This is what scene. that's like, okay? That's such a great scene. That's one of the great scenes of those kind, that, that genre of movie sort of action thriller types. That scene is unbelievable. Uh, yes, DraftKings Sportsbook, go download it. And BC, I'd be remiss. Last sort of thing we plug here, and then we'll get the show started in a proper way. If you haven't done it yet, and you would be so inclined, yes, of course, you can go to uh, morningcombat.store, and you can get shirts with feces on them yes and you mugs. can yes you can you want to support you want to join you want to join the core the donk force why don't you go over to to uh morningcombat.store right now they got donk force bomber jackets they got factory town mma fanny packs luke i hear our maker somewhere with one of our sweatshops somewhere in some undiagnosed country is is trying to figure out the the MK drug rug. I, that's what I hear. The rumors coming out of there, Luke. Okay, you talk about fighter pay. I don't know what we're paying the people in the sweatshops, but they are figuring out how to make a dr MK drug rug possibly possible. So uh, support us by wearing this shit on your skin. You you, you won't 
you won't regret it. Believe it. All right. Yeah. And if you haven't been to Apple Podcast and leaving us a nice review, please do so. Okay. With that out of the way, BC, let's get this party started. We have Wheel of Death to get to. We have fan subs later. But first things first, let's talk about the biggest issues in the fight game. Charles Oliveira is where we're going to start because his bout with Dustin Poirier is now official. This, of course, will be the main event, I believe the main event anyway, for the December 11th UFC 269 card. BC, the card will also feature Amanda Nunes taking on Juliana Pena for the women's bantamweight title and Brandon Moreno versus Devison Figueredo for the flyweight title. So it is a triple Header, but I want to focus in on the main event, BC. We now that it's official, let's talk about it here a little bit. Is there any doubt in your mind that the winner of this fight, without question, will be labeled the world's best lightweight? They will. They will. I mean, look, as long as the, the great Habib Nurmagomedov is still able to put two feet on the ground and stand up, or maybe not even with that because he works so well on the ground, of course you're going to loosely asterisk it with that. But look, Habib's gone. He's not coming back. We love and respect him. He's one of the greatest of all time. But this division keeps rolling, and I think it's great to see that finally the uncrowned champion, I know he does not like that title, but Dustin Poirier finally getting a chance once again to lift the real title. Yes, he chose the money and the fame of a Conor McGregor fights two and three this calendar year, but to his credit, Luke, he not only won both, he won both by stoppage. And he is on pace right now, Dustin Poirier, should he win the title from the always, always dangerous Charles Oliveira, the Charlie Olives who has the UFC record for most finishes. Um, you're talking about fighter of the year for Poirier. You're talking about, Luke, putting that stamp on what is already a Hall of Fame career, one of the better careers in, in this short time that the UFC has been this popular and this much to the forefront Poirier has a chance now to really cement that with the real, full, undisputed championship. That alone, Luke, gets you in the door. But now that this thing's real and you look at the style contrast and the matchup, Luke, you got to be honest, this is one of the better fights that this great promotion has put on this calendar year. I mean, I, I you heard me popping for Volkanovski Ortega, and I think rightfully so, right? That, that was fun as shit. Uh, this fight, in terms of two guys in my top ten pound for pound, it was a great, great-ass fight. And I know we're going to favor Poirier coming in, but I have no idea what this thing's going to look like. Uh, let, me, uh, let me ask you this way, maybe a little bit different. I think if Dustin Poirier wins, some questions will obviously linger about the fact that this guy got choked up by Habib not too long ago. You know, he's the best active lightweight, but he wouldn't be the best lightweight in the world. If Oliveira wins, I wonder if the conversation switches, BC, because you would still be, be like, well, we'll never know. Oliveira's not going to fight Habib, and so this will just be a question, and probably not because Habib's Habib. But at the same time, with the improved striking of Oliveira, his better overall decision-making, his championship-level cardio, which I think he'll have, we'll have to see, but certainly his submission ability on the floor, I think you would then create a situation where you have, like, let's get this straight. This guy beat Kevin Lee, Tony Ferguson, Michael Chandler, and Dustin Poirier. What would make us think that he would not be able to beat Nurmagomedov? I don't think it really matters in the end. I don't think Nurmagomedov is going to get pulled back into the fray to answer that question. But I will say, depending on who wins this main event on December 11th, BC, I do think the conversation switches where Poirier will kind of always be nagged by that loss, whereas Oliveira... A, doesn't have the loss to Nurmagomedov, and B, has a particular skill set on the floor that would, in theory, give him some ability to win, where I think the conversation switches around Oliveira, where you could actually be, he might actually be the best lightweight on earth, independent of Nurmagomedov's participation 
or not. At least a little well, bit. No, I think I you mean, might come see on. that. What, what, what are we doing here, Luke? Where are, where are you going with this? I mean, I know. I'm we, not we suggesting. Those... Hold, see, hold on. The mere fact that I introduce it as a possibility does not mean that I endorse it. It means what will the broader conversation be? And I do think part of the broader conversation will be that Oliveira has a claim to be the best lightweight on earth, independent of Nurmagomedov's participation. Yeah. No, no, look, it, it, it fights so prestigious in so many ways. And, and this would really, we talk about the cementing of Poirier's all-time great legacy. Well, look, what our Charles Oliveira has done the past few years is downright remarkable, considering it's happening in this division. He's doing it with finishes, and it's not just on the ground. You know what I mean? He's bringing, he's rounded out his game to such dangerous levels. Look, I'm interested in your take. Will you see... The majority, the overwhelming, even though the fight odds-wise, it's going to be really close by the time they touch gloves December 11th, probably in Las Vegas. I know they haven't sorted out all those details. But I'm thinking all of us, because we, we, I think, rightfully look at Poirier as the uncrowned champion, will ultimately pick Poirier to win. Do you think Oliveira will end up being, to some degree, overlooked or underrated entering here? I saw some early predictions from both Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje, both obviously prominent fighters in this division, both predicted Poirier would win by stoppage, and Gaethje went, even, went as far as calling Oliveira, you know, a, a quitter, and that's the reason why he thinks he falls. I mean, do you think that wave's only going to get stronger? That, like, look, this is Poirier's, you know, coronation ceremony December 11th here. Let's not forget about the damn champion, Luke. This guy, I mean, this guy finishes more times than your brother-in-law. Uh, that's right. I, 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 t I tend to think that what's made the big difference here is that f some people have been really convinced by his transformation. Oliveira used to be a guy who was obviously a real submission threat and um, you know had developing Muay Thai. Now his Muay Thai is really good, but back in the day, he had okay Muay Thai, very good submissions, but he was a little flaky. Like He would sometimes just kind of fall apart in fights in ways that you didn't necessarily expect or came kind of quickly even after... You know, not the stiffest resistance was given to him. Now you just you just don't see that. Like for example, to me, the Kevin Lee fight gets lost a lot because that was the last fight before everything in the pandemic suspended it and whatnot. And in that fight, you know, Kevin Lee was kind of all over him, taking him down, trying to be in his face. And you see a guy in Oliveira not only give it back to him, but not fold under the pressure, not make bad decisions, not rush into a situation he didn't need to be into, waited until he had a much more ready-to-be-finished off Kevin Lee and then did the damn thing. Follows it up by beating Tony Ferguson. That's the only decision fight he's had since his winning streak that dates back to 2018. And Tony could have been stopped there a couple of times with those submissions. A lesser fighter would have been for, for sure. And then goes in there against Michael Chandler and should have folded. The old Oliveira, no doubt, would have folded in the first one. Not a doubt in my mind. But he made it out to the second one. He he had he showed veteran savvy and then came out and snatched the title um, from the jaws of defeat, basically. Dude, this is a different guy. I think you're absolutely right. He's still going to be impacted by, you know, a pretty large body of work where he was just consistently flaky year over year. But the, since 2018, dude, that guy has not shown up and he's had opportunities to be invited to the party and he did not show in the best way possible. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think Dustin Poirier probably is the best lightweight, certainly active, but he's going to have to earn it, I think. Two brief questions related to this because the people, they love more than anything if I just shut up and we ask you MMA-related material. So, Luke, do you believe <laughs> You don't, you don't seem the, bitter about it. <laughs> do you believe that after this, this title fight takes place December 11th, the next title defense will come from Michael Chandler or Justin Gaethje? Do you believe Oof. that? 
Well, let me ask you. Let me spit it back very quickly. You think Justin Gaethje is going to beat Michael Chandler, right? No, I head? didn't say either way. I, I don't really. Look, Chandler is at a point, Luke, as, as we know, where he's all in. He's all in on his, da- his, his own danger mixed with his own vulnerability. So anyone can win that. I'm saying, do you think that is the number one contender fight for the next title opportunity against the winner of this December 11th title belt? Probably. Probably. Okay. Unless Makachev does something utterly spectacular. Probably, yes. Why? Okay. That's that's fine. That makes that fight, which takes place at UFC 268 on November 6th in Madison Square Garden, the Chandler Gaethje one, all the more important beyond just the, oh my God, these two violent MFers are going to go throw down. But number two, Luke, let's talk about this card December 11th. You mentioned the two, I'm sorry, the three title fights atop it. Let's not forget you've got Cody Garbrandt, Kai Kara France, Macy Barber, Montana De La Rosa, uh, Ryan Hall's back. Dominic Cruz versus Pedro Munoz. Sugar Sean O'Malley is back. I know this isn't 268, for example, which you could argue is the best card of the year and one of the best cards of the last two, three years. I'm going to give the MSG card 268 an A+. What would you give this card 269, December 11th? Oh. I don't know about A+, but definitely an A. Definitely an A. A plus, I'd have to. It have to be like, like, do we need the third fight between Figueredo and Moreno? I'll take it, but we don't need it. Um, I do think we need this lightweight fight, so that's really important. But you don't have, you know, one of the big, Poirier's name has grown leaps and bounds, but there's no like top three level attraction in terms of box office sales for the card. The Amanda Nunes fight is interesting to me because I think Pena is sort of absolutely flying under the radar. Yeah, you know what? I'll give it an, a solid A. Not an A okay. plus, but a solid A. That's where I'm. I at. mean, if you if you? you just weighted that on those three fights alone, it's hard to hate on either of those three title fights that, that we mentioned. I mean, this, this no, is no, they're be all great. good, dude. Right. UFC's firing on all cylinders. I mean, by and large, not entirely, but pretty close. And yeah, events- and, I, and I and I heard Dana's post DWCS press conference. Not only are they firing all cylinders, but he's deflecting at very high levels too. Okay, <laughs> he's, been, he's of- been doing that. He's yeah, you know, he, did you hear the latest, Luke, how he defended fighter pay by saying it's the fighters prefer that the general public thinks they're underpaid so that the, their family members won't keep hitting them up for money. He really said that out loud, Luke. That's Dude, great. you know what's amazing is he's, he used that years and years ago. I want to say not quite 10 years ago, but maybe maybe seven or eight, something like that. 2012-ish, 2013, somewhere around there. And I remember he said it at the time, and at the time he was like, you know, you should ask these baseball players how they feel about their money being put out there. And I'm like, I don't know, man. They don't, they don't seem to mind. Like, they don't say shit about it. Uh, obviously, it's a different situation there with, with, the, with the union and whatnot. But um, here's why he says stuff like that. I figured it out. It's because there are, like, a lot of fans in the sport who, A, I don't think watch other sports, number one, not much. And number two, just they're ready to take marching orders from leadership. Like leadership says, Oh, sky is green. Hey dude, sky is fucking, I've never seen a greener sky in all my life. He'll just say things and it'll be just be these minions out there who are just like, yeah, that's it. They just don't want to tell people. It's like, dude, if they're going to make two fifty mil over the course of three years or something insane like that, they're going to tell every fucking body who listen, what are you talking about? But okay. Neither here nor there. Um, I I firmly believe I don't know if you care about this topic. Probably not. I firmly believe that Dana White's going to run for uh, governor of Nevada one day. And if he gets it, will consider a run for the president of our country. Do you think that's absurdly ridiculous? I don't, Luke. 
He, well, he's utterly unelectable on a federal level. I can tell you that. Um, but uh, I think he fashions himself a maverick, Luke, who doesn't take no for an answer. I, I that part I am certain is true. That part I'm certain. What he there, there's a lot. I mean, BJ Penn put out a thing, being like, "I'm going to run for governor of Hawaii," or at least hinted at it. I think there's a lot of people in the fight world that overestimate how in tune their views are with the wider electorate, and I think they're all in for a pretty rude awakening. But if they'd like to go do it, certainly it is up to them. All right, I consider, uh, I consider uh, reforming the Whig Party, Luke. It's got a, yeah. you know, you can join Andrew Yang's Forward Party. How about that? Oh, hey, all right, Andrew Yang. A uh, a legitimate MMA fan. Wonder Boy Thompson is his favorite fighter. How about that? All right. Um, nice guy, yeah. Yeah, he is a nice guy. Never met him. All right. Uh, topic number two, BC. <laughs> I did that just for you. Just for you. Uh, topic number two. All right. In all seriousness, a fighter has died in Mississippi. Now, it's not an MMA fighter, although he has fought MMA. It's a, a BKFC fighter. His name is Justin Thornton. He was 38 years old. And he competed uh, just at the end of August and was knocked out in merely 18 seconds. The fight was not long. He had a record of 6-18. and 18. He was 0-5 in his last MMA fights heading into BKFC 20. This took place in Biloxi, Mississippi. His opponent, Dylan Kleckler, was 2-0 in BKFC and has an MMA record of 11-1. Now, BC, there's a lot of different questions here. Where does the blame fall for this? I don't want to say the blame falls on the victim itself, but obviously these guys take certain risks. Is it just the inherent risk of the sport? Do you put the fault on, and by that I mean bare knuckle in particular, do you put the fault on BKFC, who is the promoter in this case, should they have done something differently? Or three, is it an issue of what the commission should have been doing in any of those cases? Who, who gets the blame here? My answer is yes, Luke. Yes to all the above. But I want to I want to lay down some things first. Look, this is a unique, unfortunate situation in that Justin Thornton was knocked out in what something like 18 seconds against mm -hmm. Dylan Kleckler. But Luke, he fell face first to the canvas and actually screwed up his spine and was in intensive care for weeks and and was really in in extremely bad shape and had a really bad forward prognosis that eventually led to his death. So Luke, this was one of those uniquely dangerous situations because of the way he fell and the way he compressed his spine. But I think this very unfortunate death, it's, I don't, it's, it's not the right timing for a death like this. Obviously it's not what I'm trying to say, but it's the right timing that all of us in the extended combat sports game, which by the way, goes way further than the elite levels of, of UFC and Bellator and MMA and you know, the, the elite boxing promoters on that side, I'm talking about across the board, there's a lot of cleanup that needs to be done. And I think um, this is a reminder of that. So let me frame what I'm really trying to say here, Luke. I almost regret it now that for years I was the, we like them extra sloppy fight fan. I was the hashtag old guy fights. My name for a promotion I wanted to start in boxing some 10 years ago, Luke, when I worked at ESPN and we got a few laughs of it off of Twitter. Hey, Luke, you know, some people, some like ex-comedians or ex-UFC heavyweights are like, I never read the comments, man. Never, ever. Luke, sometimes, I, you know, I'm not, in, I'm not, I'm secure enough to tell you sometimes I do look at the comments, Luke. And I saw a comment after my take on the uh, whole Nick Diaz situation. I think I mentioned it on one of our recent shows where somebody was like, man, BC's the biggest hypocrite I ever know. What a Skip Bayless hot taker. He loves the sloppy shit. And now all I hear about is him damning Triller and damning Nick Diaz's return at age 39. 
Luke, I think I'm here to tell you that not only is my liver in the process of being reformed from a, a, a bad stretch of gas station food diet addiction, my fight diet of loving sloppiness this calendar year, I think it's run its course. And I think mm. for the right reasons, obviously, Luke, the combination of what we're seeing on the lower levels of this BKFC breakout and the various bare knuckle operations, you know, extended from that, from what we're seeing in Triller with the Evander Holyfield, you know, debacle, which we're lucky that it wasn't worse through the fact that Riddick Bowe damn near almost put on the gloves for another boxing fight, considering his physical condition. It echoes more and more, Luke, and maybe it's just because there's been so much of it in our face that I finally got to a point where I'm like, I don't have a taste for this anymore. It's sickening. Fighting is a young man's game, except for very rare circumstances. Fighting is a young man's game. Fact. This is the most, meaning combat sports in general, is the most dangerous sports possible to have weak commissioning, weak promotioners who want to just make a buck, weak sanctioning bodies, weak everything across the board that I think it's time we all really look in the mirror. So is, is BF, BKFC to blame for this? I don't know in this circumstance. Justin Thornton, though, Luke, as you mentioned, had lost his last five MMA bouts. He's 6-18 and 18 overall, was 38 years old, on the way out. What have we seen from BKFC of late? Fighters who have been cut from major MMA promotions. I think BKFC, by the way, is trying to promote a fight with Melvin Gillard in the main event coming up soon. Guys who have been knocked out so many times in a row that they're essentially like persona non grata from the elite levels of their own sport. So they're doing this stop by at what I've called jokingly, the BKFC, the last stop right on the food chain, get your final dollars. And Luke, of course, we're all wondering, is this being done under the, the right up and up scenarios? In most cases, they're not. In most cases, regional MMA shows are probably not. In most cases, anything short of the elite level in boxing is probably not. These sports are the absolute worst for that situation to be a reality, but sadly, it is. You know what Dana White said Tuesday night, Luke, which you mentioned his press scrum he does after the Dana White Contender Series is becoming must-see in a lot of ways because mm -hmm. he typically addresses the biggest news across all combat sports, was that the UFC spends $20 million per year on medical safety and in, in, in and all of that, and he was, you know, bragging about it, but that's one of the good brags, Luke. That's one of the, they've gotten to an elite level where, say what you will about a lot of things they do, they're realizing that the most important thing they could possibly do is fighter safety to avoid really bad scandals and that th those kind of things that destroy your sport. They've got much more money than these other promotions we're talking about. But, Luke, if we say, I'm less inclined to put the point of blame and just say, in general... We got to clean up the sloppiness of the fight game. I've lost my taste for a lot of this bullshit, Luke. I don't want to see older fighters who shouldn't be in there, fighters who are on seven, eight knockout loss streaks end up on a bare knuckle card because it's the only way they can make money. I'm hoping that this death of Justin Thornton here does not go in vain or does not get forgotten because how many active in their prime boxers have we seen die through the years? This is, these sports are not to F around with, man. So, Luke, I, I, I'm less inclined. You know, I just want to say, like, we need some serious change across the board in the stringency in the in the rules from everything from promoters down to state commissions down to everything. Because you could argue, looking at the records here and looking at the back thing, should Justin Thornton have even been in there, Luke? 
Yeah, I, I don't. I think you make a great point, and I also I can tell the the, the audience like BC's not doing. A, I mean, he's always doing a bit of a bit, but he's not really doing a bit here about the change in his opinion. Like, I've watched it in real time with the circumstances kind of evolve and and get to the position that he's in now. And you know, this is why we were like so adamant about Evander Holyfield not fighting a guy like uh, Vitor Belfort. Like, it was just a. I mean, the guy's almost sixty. What the fuck are you doing in that ring? And the reality is you cannot rely on the commissions to keep you safe. You just cannot. I mean, this is really, to me, where it all comes down. The, the, there is not a whole lot of studies about BKFC, but what studies exist paint actually a pretty good picture, which is to say that they result in more hand injuries and facial lacerations, but uh, there is less brain damage that they've been able to measure. Still, it's a very limited study, and it doesn't really mean anything for the poor situation that we have now, where there's a grieving family and a dead man who tried to compete or ultimately did compete, and it, and it took, cost him his life. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure what the specifics are yet, but the Association of Boxing Commissions came out and basically said to uh, any state commission, this particular case, it's Mississippi, if you're going to do BKFC and you're going to license some of these guys, who, by the way, they come here you know, after 35, which is usually a benchmark in officiating circles about when extra tests and screens need to be introduced for clearing a fighter, that they didn't really do any... Uh, CAT scans, there was no MRI scan, there was no board-certified neurologist looking at any of this man's work. There was no work to be done. He probably did blood work and not a whole lot else. Dude, this is this is negligent, and if you're a fighter out there, I can understand if you don't have any other work or you have a, you have a bills that have to get paid. Dude, I, I truly understand that, but you are, in any case, listen, fighting doesn't really matter how you do it. It's like smoking. There's really no safe way to do it, right? In any case, that one cigarette may not be the one that gets you, but accumulatively, it's, it's about the same. Um, or at least the analogy works in that way. But in this particular case, you have somebody who probably had a pre-existing medical condition. I'm assuming that. I can't prove that. I don't know that. Um, but for situations like this, what they usually find after the fact is through some autopsies, there was all kinds of medical red flags that a proper screening should have gotten to. Like, why is the UFC's record so good? Okay, they spend a lot of money, but you know, what does that tw $20 million really go to? A lot of it might be for the Performance Institute and other things. And I'm not here to dis diminish it, but I'm just saying how much of it goes to pre-fight screens. A lot of the reasons why the UFC is in good shape is one, they go to places with big commissions or when they don't, they bring good commission practices with them, right? When they self-regulate or whatever the case may be. Two, they got younger athletes in general. Um, and three, they just sort of get a better class of referee over time. Like this is the lesson to me, BC. This is really where I come down on. I one time had a conversation with Faraz Zahabi and I asked him, what would you rather have? A commission that you could not trust in terms of the opponent, in terms of the refereeing, in terms of the judging, or an opponent who you knew had taken steroids? And he would say, I'd rather have the bad commission. Boy, I would strongly caution against that if I were you folks. From getting a bad deal to the judging to getting a bad referee or whatever else, or now pre-fight screens, it is a clear and present danger to go to a place, if you are 35 years or older, that doesn't do proper pre-fight screening. It is not okay. It is not acceptable. And over time, bad shit will happen right in front of you. Bad commissioning, lax commissioning, or just, you know, not robust commissioning, I should say, that's a problem. And I guarantee yeah. Mississippi regrets not doing more ahead of this one. Well, you know, BKFC put out a statement on Twitter from David Feldman, the, the, the uh, the promote, you know, the the leader, and it, you know, people criticize the sentiments of it. I'm not here to do that. I mean, I don't know what what the promotion should do beyond that, but I do want to echo again, like this specific scenario. 
uh, Thornton paralyzed himself by the way he fell on his face, according to the medical records. And he, like I mentioned, was on a ventilator with a tracheotomy and an IV drip. And Kleckler stated publicly that he that Thornton died from pneumonia. So, I mean, who knows? You know, if this is a could have happened to anybody situation, it's just unfortunate. But you referenced the Association of Boxing Commissions, which is head headed by Mike Mazzulli there from the Mohegan tribe, Luke. And that specific quote in the statement that they gave to MMA Junkie said, disturbingly, and despite our recommendations, some jurisdictions regulating these events are still not following the minimum medical guidelines set forth by the ABC and the Association of Ringside uh physicians more concerning is the fact that many commissions do not require any imaging studies for for cat scan or mri in a sport where injured individuals are at a risk for acute and chronic head injuries so it's it's sort of like luke uh you know what what cripples boxing in general from being the sport it could be the lack of organization from a more promotional and network standpoint but a lot of that is still rooted in what we don't have across both fight sports which is uniforms code across the u.s in terms of how the states handle everything from drug testing to to medical and i and i get that there's different levels of shows of events which which can you know not every show can you know can afford the elite olympic level drug testing you know but again is this the sport are these the sports that we want to f around with moving forward you know, I mean, th- this is a horrible stain on BKFC's record in terms of what they're going to be capable of moving forward in terms of the perceived danger. Because let's be honest, they're selling extra danger. They're selling bare knuckle, right? They're selling the idea that this not, is going to be more Not just bare danger. knuckle, BC. Not just bare knuckle, but they have to face off when the round starts. The ring is smaller to induce action. The rounds are two-minute sprints. Like, everything is about close contact action. And, you know, and you got you got the other... Bare knuckle one that Dada Five Thousand runs the BYB that has that trigon ring. You know, Paulie Malinaji and and uh, and uh, Goldie are the announcers to that, and that's like an even more like nowhere to run or hide. I love, dude. I love all kinds of combat sports, combat karate, all like whatever. Look, we run. Have you seen this shit? All these, all these barnyard knuckle sports. Um, all that just stuff is gonna go away if we keep seeing stuff like this happening again, which is the reason why UFC is so smart to have a performance institute and have so much money. I mean, I think Dana said in the interview, Luke, that because of their pre-fight medical screenings, they've caught upwards of four fighters uh, and ma- pulled them from fights who had major pre-existing conditions that weren't found before that mm-hmm. could have led to a in-competition death. So, again, you know, if, if Thornton's death because of the circumstances are a bit random or, or just, you know, bad luck... Um, it's not going to be the end of it if, if we don't get this stuff dialed up. So you're not going to hear me anymore, Luke, being excited about, you know, De La Hoya and Trinidad touching gloves again for, to run back their 1999 first fight. I, I'm really done with that stuff. I'm really, I really am. It's a young man's sport. It's not a career. Luke, this fight game is not a career. It's a, it's a, it's a moment in time. It's a, it's like saying an NFL player has a career. How, you know, what's the average career length in the NFL? What is it down to now? A year and a half, three years? It's, I mean, look, yeah, it's, it's three it's, years. Yeah. I mean, the fight game. You know, maybe because you can linger on regional levels, but like this is not a career. This is a moment in time where you can make a lot of money in a, in a short period. And if we're not doing it right, let's not do it anymore. Last thing I'll say, I agree with everything you're you're just talking about here. The last thing I'll say is, I, I don't know, I don't have the, I don't have a good explanation for what I'm about to say, but I've seen it enough to know that it's a problem. Which is that there? It's, a, it's in many ways, BC. You know as well as I do. Dude, when we were kids, if you're if you're a teenager now. 
right? And you're into combat sports, or you're just trying to figure out what you like. Maybe you like boxing, kickboxing. You're watching everything, and, and, and whatever it is is appealing to you. Dude, this is the golden era. We never had ESPN+. Plus. We never had Fight Pass. We never had any of these fucking things. We had to wait for the limited amount of quantity and the limited way in which it was delivered, if our parents even let us, and as we got older, you know, I think the options opened up a little bit, but they were always pretty narrow. Dude, now is an unbelievable time to be a combat sports fan. If you're into like, you know, sport jujitsu, that shit's on almost five days a week. It's crazy how much there is now to say nothing of kickboxing, MMA, or whatever the case may be. But as the as the golden era, so to speak, of combat sports has expanded, it's also expanded what kinds of combat sports we entertain. I don't want to make this necessarily about a taste level, BC, but I have a, a hunch. And I, I, again, I'm not saying this is right at all. I'm trying to figure out what's happening. But I feel like there's a lot of new fans and when I say new, I don't mean just this year, but you know, if you've been watching for a few years and I've been watching for a very, very long time that haven't seen some of these morality plays like you and I have kind of over and over. Dude, I've like, here's one thing that fighters don't realize as media guys, if you're successful enough, I'm going to watch career start and end. And then I'm going to watch another career start and end after that. And I'm still going to be here. I've seen this play enough times to kind of know what's happening here. I feel like they just have a thirst for the kinds of fights that you and I have because we've been salty dogs and we're old and you know uh, lame now, but we've kind of seen like eh, these lead down a path you don't want to go down. Maybe this particular event will be okay, but uh, there's just been this expanded notion of what kind of combat sports we should promote and celebrate, and there should be a diversity. Not everyone's going to agree, but when you get to the holy field part, when you get to I'm not saying BKFC necessarily, but you know guys who are on terrible losing streaks. Over 35, you're in Mississippi. These are these are reddish kind of flags, and it resulted in this. I just feel like we need. I, I don't know. I don't know what we need, but I feel like as long as this is in play, it's going to be hard to get some of the stuff to go away. That's it. Yeah. Um, full full agreement. All right. Topic number three. This is related. Didn't get a lot of media. But I think this story is super interesting. I mean, really interesting. So Mark Ratner, who was the VP of Regulatory Affairs over at UFC for a long time, was uh, on the Nevada Athletic Commission, but, you know, for about almost 20 years or something, for a long time has been with UFC. And he's well-liked. And he is mainly uh, the guy you could credit from the UFC side of things for being the one who helped spearhead their efforts to go state by state to get things regulated. But now he said something, and I like Mark a lot, so what I'm about to say is not a critique of him personally, but it's a critique of the ideas that he was professing and the policies that he wants there. If you guys don't know the story, I'll make it quick. Colorado, where the UFC got their start, by the way, has adopted not a change to their rules, but they have allowed the accommodation of one championship rules, which has sort of different rules potentially about striking, but certainly also about judging. You get the idea. They're willing to accommodate them if one wanted to do that. They are the only state athletic commission that has done that to this point. Mark Ratner spoke to MMA Junkie and said he was against it. And to the point, BC, he said the following, quote, what we need is an association of commissions. I mean, they have one. Um, they don't really have the power, and that's what needs to be stronger. The rules should be the same in every state. It's terrible. And he says, in relation to Colorado, I would tell the world that the UFC is not going there. Ratner said about Colorado's decision to allow head stomps in competition. Again, um, this is the one championship rules we're talking about here. I would tell the governor that we would love to come to Colorado, but you have to have the right rules. So I'm against that. There's no reason to have these rules. I don't understand why they would do that. Okay, BC, this issue really bothers me a little bit. And the reason why is because I brought this up previously and people just laughed it off. It, this, is not a, this is not a joke. What the UFC did was twofold when they went state by state by state. 
they always bragged that they ran towards regulation, and that part is kind of true. They weren't the first ones to do it within the UFC framework, but they did. They made a really conscious effort to go state to state, even in states like Tennessee that doesn't do a lot of combat sports. They tried to get a commission up and running and making sure they could cover professional MMA. That part is pretty good, but the part of the reason why they do it is what I always try to explain to people about the UFC, like when they, when they create these performance institutes. Yes, that will pay dividends for actors beyond just the UFC, but they're not doing it for that purpose. It might have that benefit, but that's not... They're doing it a lot to to protect themselves. Namely, if you go state to state and you make them borrow your rules, you reduce the ability of competitors to have a different uh, com- uh, uh, product by virtue of innovation being totally dampened. Colorado said, we'll give it a try. We will try to accommodate under these rules. It doesn't mean when UFC goes there, they have to obey those rules. They don't. They can stick to the unified rules as they have it. BC, are you a little bit alarmed that the VP of Regulatory Affairs for the UFC is uh, bemoaning states broadening what rule sets they will use to allow other actors into the space? Well, it, it frames it like almost a mafioso way of saying, you know, if you allow these rules in your state, we won't bring our shows there, right? That's, it's a, that's like exactly a, what he said. It's almost like a Vince McMahon telling, you know, pay-per-view <laughs> providers, if you put on the WCW pay-per-view, we'll never give you a WWF one again, which happened in the late 80s and was part of, you know, that that uh, promotions just take over monopoly and dominance. Um, I could see it putting it under that, Luke, because different promotions tend to have different rules. And, you know, if, if his stance was, I'm against kneeing a down opponent, if that was what the stance is, then, then you know, that's a personal stance and I, I'm not against it. Um I tend to look at this as more in relation, as you mentioned, to the previous topic, mostly because in that statement that the Association of Boxing Commissions gave to the MMA junkie that Mike Mazzulli wrote, one of the things were that we can't enforce this state by state. All we can do is suggest to them. And the problem is that the states aren't um, taking these suggestions, usually in situations because they just want to make money. They just want the easiest path to resistance here. Look, what we need is what we've always needed. I mean, when you see this come in at the UFC level, and I'm not, I'm not pushing the Mark Ratner thing aside. I'll get back to that. But it's like, you know, where the rules change state to state. We hear it say on the UFC broadcast. Sometimes the broadcasters to the fighters are not sure. Wait, what state are we into? The rule? What does that rule mean? I mean, the, the fact that that's even a thing that's allowed is ridiculous. It, are we, what is stopping our country at this point, uh, unless you have a fear of, of government control in this area, of creating a combat sports nationwide governing body that sets rules across all 50 states and, and you know, Native American territories and your uh, Los Estados de Dice, whatever you call that city you live in, Luke. What is stopping us from having a national board that sets these regulations of safety? And if you want to have within that, Luke, an adherence that allows if a promotion has a rule set that's different, as long as the, the National Commission approves the differences between them. So it would be up to a national commission in my eyes, working with the lead promoters to determine is knees to a ground opponent in 2021, a safe thing. As long as it is cleared Luke, then I'm not, I don't really care if, if one guy from the UFC is saying we won't go back to this state if they don't change the rules. The larger picture is that we need a freaking national commission that avoids any kind of loopholes or states that allow you to get away with things. What are we doing here, Luke? Okay, we got the ABC, which, by the way, has boxing in its title, yet covers mixed martial arts, too. Not weird enough. All they make are suggestions. 
can we make a national commission? I mean, how, like, how many more bad things have to happen before this type of action will be taken? Luke? Well, I mean, because what I Mark could, Radner be, is I... saying at its core is correct, Luke. We can go down that road if you want with what this relates to one. But what Mark Ratner is saying at a whole is the answer to a lot of these issues. I don't think he's doing anything like that. He was against an, he wants a commission, but he doesn't want any kind of federal mandate about uh, or any kind of body with a federal mandating power. What they just don't want are competitors with a different rule set. I mean, the argument is impossible to take seriously, right? You don't want to go to Colorado because you think that they're, I don't know, sending a bad message with health and safety by allowing this rule set. Okay, let's assume for a second we think that's true. Guys, you went to Florida a million times, which just allowed as a sanctioning body Evander Holyfield to fight. Like you, if you care about health and safety, you won't go back to Florida, period. And of course they will. So this argument is not... I don't, I don't, I don't know how to interpret it other than to say it's just simply not accurate. Moreover, to the point, you see, I'm not saying it's mafioso, but I am saying that a a large dominant power publicly saying we're not going to go to a state that allows a rule set that would allow a uh, a, a, a a a company with a different, meaningfully different product to use their rules here. Ones that, by the way, as, I mean, I don't know what the reality is with the totality of the health and safety record of one, but it doesn't look to me majorly distinguishable from any other major promoter for that level we're supposed to just assume that that's like a good way to to do business or to allow for innovation like it's actually a bit of a problem if you want something to be done in a way that's meaningful i agree a federal commission or at least having a binding power with the association of boxing commissions is how to get there but i i just don't think folks are paying enough attention to the fact that they're trying to bake in the impossibility of innovation into government law that's what they're okay. trying to do. That's a problem. Colorado said we don't want any part of that, and immediately you have them pushing back. I just think that should make folks think twice about the the value of saying, oh, well, we give all this power to the states. Well, now when the state wants to exercise this power in a different direction, we're not going to bring shows there. I mean, I don't think it cripples the commission per se, but like, I don't know. I don't think it sends the best message about um, how they I welcome mean, look, other rule sets. If it's out of... If it's out of the right reasons, you're not against it, right? So what if this is just Ratner saying, I fully disagree with the one rules? Yeah, but then why would you go to places that have a horrible health and safety record? Yeah. <laughs> like, I just don't, I, it doesn't compute. Uh, oh, I mean, yes. is this going to end we, with Colorado, all the fights coming out Colorado of who has, Jose, Colorado who doesn't do the same business as Texas and Florida, so it's not apples to apples, certainly, but doesn't have, to my knowledge, any of the same problems related to health and safety that texas and florida we're gonna to go to texas and florida well they'll put dot 5000 on a stretcher after a bellator show that's cool but um but colorado's beyond the pale for rules that we don't even have to abide by when we go there like it doesn't make it makes zero sense i mean it's not like there's no issues with my dream scenario of a federal commission either luke because if the ufc got to a point where they feel they felt they were being overly regulated they would just take all matters to fight island moving forward right i mean that's 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 how this works I don't think so. I don't think, I mean, the whole the whole notion of like, oh, we can just go to Texas, Florida and fight out. I don't really buy that anymore. Dude, if you watch TV, how many sports don't have fans in them? Like UFC is the only one left. Now, obviously their situation is different because they had the apex to retreat to when there was nowhere else to go. And I think that they planned a calendar around that for 2021 
probably prudently, right? They were like, you know what? We don't know exactly how this thing's going to shake out. Let's do the safer option and make sure we're not getting fucked with in 2021. I actually think that's probably the smart call. I'm just pointing out, like, this idea that you can be closed off from the world when even with COVID doing whatever it's doing, the rest of the sports world's kind of embraced it and sort of moved on for better or for worse. The idea that you can just go to Texas, Florida, Fight Island, I don't buy that. Like, you got to reach out to the rest of the world, and that will require, meaningfully, um, some adjustments along the way, I think. Well, Dana says he still owes Tai Chi Palace something for uh, getting his back, Luke, okay? He certainly does. All right, with that in mind, let's go to topic number four. We are just now, what, three days? Was it Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Yeah, three days away from the, I don't know, I got to say, BC, it's the third fight. We didn't really need to see it. We weren't asking for it. And now that it's here, I just can't wait. Tyson Fury taking on Deontay Wilder. I want to sort of have a conversation about game, not game planning, but mapping out the future, BC. And I want to start this way. Deontay Wilder has made some statements recently that indicate he's kind of eyeing retirement where he's got a few more things to do. He didn't say after this fight, no matter what, he didn't say that. But he did kind of hint that it wasn't too, too far in the future. Maybe that's bullshit, but that's what he said, okay? Let me posit a situation for you. Wilder has come into this fight denying the validity of what happened in the second fight. Yes, the fight got stopped, and yes, I got hurt, but I wasn't done. My coaches, in the case of Mark Breland, were sabotaging me. They threw in the towel when they weren't supposed to. I shouldn't have been counted out. I had that big, heavy, heavy ass rig he was carrying like all these reasons to say he didn't really lose he has maintained some of those fictions okay let's assume a world we'll do the opposite in a minute but let's assume a world where wilder goes in there for the third time made all these changes and it amounts to nothing it amounts to him losing in the exact same authoritative way that he lost before does he retire after the bout <sighs> It depends. It depends. I see the angle you're going here. I mean, it could depend financially because there's a there are many, many heavyweights that he could knock out. Luke said he would go in there with, not take a lot of punishment at six foot seven with that power. Even if they box for six seven, I mean, we've seen it before, right? It would come down to his want level. It would come down financially because you know he can make a hell of a lot of money coming coming in against anybody. But you do wonder. The fighting spirit, especially, I mean, that's the risk in fighting anyone a third time, especially when you enter a third fight against somebody when you haven't won any of them yet. The risk is that with that many consecutive defeats, and again, I know the first fight was a draw, but we all sort of realized that Fury should have won that and and was very unlucky, uh, if not robbed on the scorecards. I get what you're saying. I don't feel like Wilder's going to be around a ton longer. He's 35. He's got a style that... You know, once solved at the elite level, we've seen it solved twice now in, in a lot of ways by Tyson Fury, although the first fight ended up being close because of the knockdowns. You know, you're, you're not, I don't think he's somebody that's going to hang around and just keep getting solved, is what I'm trying to say. Now, if he wins this, it, what's interesting, what's developing during fight week, as much as we want to say, oh my God, what if Wilder wins? Could we see fight four or five against each other? They're both saying this is the end of the rivalry. Wilder saying, even if I knock him out, I'm done with this. It would be smart. For Wilder to be done with a guy who's really, you know, as far as we know, the only guy who could really do this to him because Fury has the size, the brains, the balls, and the speed to pull off what he what he pulled off in that second fight to walk him down and, and do that to him. But um, it, it's there's almost a potential Juan Manuel Marquez situation here where if Wilder wins, 
this fight, he's going to feel like he won the rivalry, just like Marquez knocked out Pacquiao in the fourth fight, said, we're done, we're not fighting again, I just showed you I won the rivalry. But regardless of that, there's a lot of things surrounding Deontay Wilder heading into this fight that are interesting. I do wonder, the the, the, the crux of your question you know, is his heart, his heart's into it to get back and use the 20, by the way, it'll be 20 months between the second and third fight. Neither Mm. of them have fought in the interim. None of us, including those two, thought this would be the scenario the way it played out with COVID, with the Joshua fight almost happening, then the court injunction. We're almost two years later. I feel like Wilder's dialed in to give his very best effort, and he's used that time from what we can tell the right way to come back. But yes, Luke, if he loses here, I do question what would be left for him to accomplish. Because, you know, the only way these guys would fight again is if Wilder knocks him out, then goes and fights Usyk and takes all the belts, and then, you know, I don't know, uh, Fury beats Joshua, and then we end up back in one more giant payday here. Would that Could that happen? You never know. It's heavyweight boxing. But there's, a, you know, what's interesting here, Luke, is it, one of the big storylines, as much as the, the biggest storyline, what we talked about on Monday's show, is Wilder's mindset, the changes to his camp, the 20 months, how did he use that to improve? There's obviously a flip side devil's advocate argument to that, which I want to know if you're worried about this. It's from this standpoint. Why did Wilder fire Mark Breland, who was the most by far decorated coach in his corner, the assistant trainer, the former gold medalist and boxing champion Hall of Famer? Mark Breland's a boxing mind. Why did he fire him, Luke? Out of what Wilder's calling disloyalty for throwing in the towel, But from what a lot of people on the outside in or people who have had a cup of coffee inside the Wilder camp have come out and said critically is Wilder's got too many yes men in his corner. That's why J.D. has stayed sliding down now to assistant trainer and Mark Breland left. So as much as we're saying, okay, hiring Malik Scott, the 40 year old former heavyweight, who, by the way, lost to Wilder in a first round knockout that I remember when it happened, Luke, some people were like, did he actually hit him? That looked a little questionable. We find out they're like best friends. Wilder wanted to give him the payday. Is he just bringing in another yes man? I think Malik Scott is a you know much brighter boxing mind than, say, a Jay Diaz. And Scott's a smart, cerebral boxer. And if this is the way to get through to Wilder, someone that he trusts. And I don't know if you saw Deontay Wilder's interview from Tuesday's um, grand arrival outside the arena where Ray Flores talked to him and Wilder said, look, I finally have my brothers in my camp. I finally have family that I can trust. Okay, if that's the best way for Wilder to feel comfortable, okay. But Luke, are we overlooking the idea that Wilder just took out maybe the most integral, important person in his camp, the only one that was looking out for him and Mark Breland, and just subbed in another yes man? There's only one way to find out. I tend to think that Malik Scott... Do you believe that Malik Scott would be doing what he's doing if he felt like he was just marking time? Like, I got hired for something and I had noble intentions, but in the end, you know, Deontay's going to be who he is, and so I'm just going to help him kind of, you know, massage his downfall as best I can. Feather a bed for him as he falls, no matter what. Or do you think he's in there because he thinks he can make a big difference? I, I tend to think he thinks he can make a big difference. I really do. I think he thinks that he might have to find unorthodox ways to get Deontay to comply with whatever else he's advising him from a training perspective or this needs to change perspective. There's pride. By the way, Deontay, he does strike me as a guy who can kind of convince to be doing things, but there, there, there has, you can't be, he's just, he's not going to let another man tell him. 
some some guy has to like get in his head and convince him and it has to make it a good idea and like think about all the major amazing possibilities and someone of your incredible ability how what they could show if they did this like you kind of get him to buy into the system and then he'll go all in i tend to think that's how malik scott has operated here but we simply won't know until saturday it's why it's one of the most intriguing questions i just feel like Everyone's kind of assuming Joshua was going to beat Usyk, and then he didn't. And all of us are assuming that Fury is going to beat Wilder, and I still think that he will. But we haven't reconciled with a world where, A, what happens if he does? Or, B, the opposite, BC. What happens if Wilder actually does the damn thing and gets the, gets the win? For the fans out there, is it realistic that he'll fight Usyk? Would they do a fourth fight with I mean, let's say he gets him like he did in that first fight, except he doesn't get off the canvas. Something like that, right? Like classic Deontay Wilder. Dude, what about that world? What happens then? Yeah, there's a lot to talk about what happens next on both sides. On the Fury side, uh, his co-promoter Bob Arum of Top Rank said they would be very willing if Fury beats Wilder in this third fight to entertain a fight against Dillian White in early mm. 2020. And Luke, besides Andy Ruiz Jr., who's busy tatting up his ass cheeks, more to come on Wednesday, Mondays, have you seen this shit? Um, <laughs> tattoo on ass-y. Uh, besides him, Dillian White's the next best, along with Luis Ortiz, heavyweight in the, you know, in the outer conversation of this. But it is interesting. What happens if Wilder wins? Um, I think that he's had enough with Fury and this rivalry where I, I believe him when he says we're not going back to a fourth fight. There's no contractual obligation this time heading into this one. Luke, do you believe that even though the winner of this will have just one belt, the WBC, and will have, though, the lineal championship for those like me who still care about that, the guy who beat the guy who beat the guy, the real recognized champion in the division, do you think the winner of this fight is is the power player, even though they have less titles than Usyk moving forward, the the A side, if you will, the decision maker in boxing. When you are the A side, when you're a De La Hoya or a Mayweather or a Canelo, you call the shots, you set the terms. Do you think that's kind of what's at stake here, where Wilder can basically regain control of the division? If he redeems this loss, of course we're gonna have to wait to see if Joshua goes through with the Usyk rematch and if he wins or loses. But there's a lot at stake here, you know, from the face of the division standpoint for the winner. I think there's a lot of things. If 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 Fury ends up winning, first of all, you just have this proximity where Joshua loses and then right behind it, Fury wins. So just that juxtaposition makes it a bad look for Joshua. I also think most people, because it, it's one thing to convince the boxing insiders. It's another thing to convince the broader public. You know, in the case of AJ, he does giant stadiums in the UK, but Tyson Fury is... You know, he's selling out uh, ostensibly or coming close to it anyway, doing big shows, let's put it that way, in America, right? He has sort of crossed over to be an American star in certain ways, or at least in the last year, uh, or, you know, well, since the first uh, Wilder fight anyway. Um, so there's that. So like all of these sort of different little soft measurements of power, right? Where are you fighting internationally in Las Vegas and, and, uh, and the sort of a, a triumphant victory relative to someone's proximate loss? Those kind of matter. But the other part is like, I feel like this was, how do I say this exactly? Among the major power players in boxing, the really big ones, I'm not, you know, this is not true either. I'll say this. More recently, it just seems to me like Fury and Wilder have kind of set themselves a little bit apart from the rest of the pack. Ruiz got close with the win over Joshua and was supposed to be Joshua's homecoming, but couldn't follow it up. Usyk did it, but did it in a way where it was, to many people, it was a much of a shock. Uh, they don't really know exactly what to make of it. They're still kind of processing it. These two guys have had a larger than life 
rivalry. They're bigger than life personalities in their own kinds of ways. They have elevated themselves through this rivalry where Joshua certainly elevated himself, but not by having that one foil that he faced down, not once, not twice, but thrice. There is something to be said about the not just the courage it takes to do that, but how much that can make the public view you as a separate, more significant pairing and entity relative to each other and the division than what Joshua was doing, even if we can agree that Joshua's record of terms of who he's had to get, go through to get here is more than commendable. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. Just to bring a full circle on your original question here, obviously what we want to see most in this fight, has Wilder changed? Will he go after Fury? I mean, believe me, this has potential to be a slugfest if he does. But uh, I, I hope Wilder has learned his lessons. Um, and, you know, would he consider not coming back? We did see Prince Nassim Hamed, who had a very untraditional style, Luke, and was sort of loved being this front runner and, and baiting people and tricking people. The second he got solved by Marco Antonio Barrera, he was done. He walked away. That was it. Sometimes that happens. Wilder got solved, but to his credit, he 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 activated this third fight. He's going to get it. We're going to see what his future brings after this. Um, funny that they showed his his famous heavy suit that he wore, Luke. I don't know if you saw Mark Raimondi's ESPN story did, detailing yeah. the leak. There was leaked photos about Wilder's suit for this third fight. He's going just as large and ridiculous, Luke. So maybe we can squash the uh, the excuse that the suit cost him the second fight. Luke. Not he's if he loses. A, yeah. <laughs> not if he loses. Uh, last but not least here on Topics for the Day, before we get to everything else here on the show, there was an interesting article uh, published a few days ago. It caused a bit of an uproar in the community, which we, we didn't have time to get to it on Monday, but we wanted to make sure we at least touched on it before we entirely move on. So Bloody Elbow put out an article, which is the site bloodyelbow.com from Vox Media. Um, they since put out a second column behind it, being like, you know, saying the opposite, which if you know who runs Bloody Elbow, that makes entire sense. They often air a viewpoint and then right behind it air the opposite viewpoint so that readers can make an informed choice about what which one they find more credible. But neither here nor there. The first of them was about how the UFC should replace Joe Rogan. Uh, uh, the author, I believe it was Trent Rainsmith, had argued a series of things, but namely that there's just not a lot of contribution there and the UFC in addition, is sort of doing business with the guy who does conspiracy theory and blah, 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 whatever the, the various... Um, you can go read the piece for yourself and decide. But the point that I was more interested in considering was just the amount of uproar this caused. So, BC, what was your estimation? What did you learn about the community and Joe Rogan through the situation? What's your major takeaway from the controversy that it caused? you got to take it with a little bit of grain of salt here, Luke. Obviously, because of Rogan's platform and because when he makes certain stances and right now there's you know stances on uh against covid and masks that people have been you know have not fielded uh happily so when you cross over into some of that political side it can it can fuel people's decisions i did though think that this was an interesting story to hit the wave at the right time why because you know rogan had a hunting trip so he missed the last pay-per-view I, I think he's supposed to miss another one luke for for another gig he has scheduled which is completely fine by the way rogan is at a such a point in his career, he can call his own shots, rightfully so. But I think, Luke, what we saw in the absence of him there with Paul Felder filling in was in some ways a more efficient broadcast. So the fact that the appetite of the public for someone who's been there for so long is starting to change is interesting right now. And it's not wrong, right? When you see somebody in there in one seat for so long, 
they change. It's hard for them to keep up that same spirit or that thing that made you fall in love with them, where for other people, there's just the long-term nostalgic, I want them there no matter what. I'll say this, Luke. I've gone on record a couple months ago and saying the trio of Joe Rogan, John Anik, and Daniel Cormier, I think it might be the best we've ever seen at one point in this sports history together. But that's because I enjoy the entertainment side of what they bring. And when you get DC and Joe Rogan together... You still get fight analysis, but what you really get, Luke, is fight reaction, as if you're up in the hills in Calabasas with the boys breaking it down and laughing. You get a lot of oohs and ahs and big reactions. Sometimes that meshes perfectly with what's going on there, and sometimes I lean a little bit more toward wanting to be entertained during a broadcast than wanting to be educated. Maybe that's just because I'm at a fairly... Well, despite what the listeners think about me, I'm at a fairly high knowledge of this. But I don't think the backlash, meaning the fuel behind that story being written, is necessarily wrong. Rogan's, he he's not much of an analyst anymore, Luke. He's an entertainer. He's a narrative teller. You know what his best role, still does it great today, is the video package before a fight that's supposed to get you hyped up and lay out the storylines. Nobody does that better than Joe Rogan. Why? Because sometimes you can fudge the truth a little and be like, this guy's one of the most historically best strikers we've ever... I mean, like, he's passionate, he's in the moment, he's there. That's what he's great at. He's a professional entertainer. Has this job passed him by? Not fully, Luke, but I think it's starting to, and I just think where that's where the backlash is starting. If the backlash stays in that lane... I actually agree that it's kind of time to start having these conversations because surprisingly or maybe not, I really enjoyed Felder in that spot and maybe how professional the broadcast became. And you can like different things at different times, and I like that UFC mixes it up often. If it's not because of the COVID backlash and just about his actual job, I do agree he's on the latter half of an all-time great analyst career in the fight game. And if you're done with him, that's okay, Luke, because he's not... You know, it may have it may have outgrown him to a certain degree, and I don't think that's disrespectful or unfair to say. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know how I would challenge too much of that. I mean, on the question of whether UFC should stop, you know, using him, I, I, you know, if I was in charge of the UFC for a day or something, no, I don't think I would do that. Right? I mean, here is a guy who what did, what did this reaction show you? It showed you that Joe Rogan has. You know, if you looked at approval ratings, right, about what did the average MMA fan think about these various characters and what is their approval rating as if they were a politician or something. I hate to put it in those terms, but it's an easy way to describe what I'm talking about. Joe Rogan would have an extremely high approval rating, right? It would just be very, very, very high. It'd be high among fighters. It'd be high among fans. And I think even for the most part, it'd be high um, among media, although you probably get different levels at different places. But it's high. It's very, very high. And so the intense reaction you saw to that was was part of that, um, which I can understand. And so that's one reason to not get rid of him. The other reason would be like his role has, I think what you honed in on is correct. His role has substantively changed to the audience, right? So if you watch in the old days, UFC 39, 40, whatever, around that time, what you'll hear is a Joe Rogan who was, they needed somebody 
who could explain MMA to the audience in the most basic, understandable terms, particularly the ground game. And they had a guy in Joe Rogan who had been on a sitcom and was now had done some work with Fear Factor. He was certainly the most publicly known MMA fan, if the way you could describe it. To a, obviously, he was more than that, but that was one way to understand him. And he was the guy who put your arm around you on a broadcast. It was like, okay, check this out. Watch when this guy steps over, da 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 explaining who was good at the ground game. He was your best friend that helped you understand fighting. We all had a friend, usually, or a father figure, or somebody in your life who was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you how to watch fight sports and how to understand them and appreciate them. Dude, that was that guy. That is a profound thing to have in your fandom. Like, to, to, to that guy, for him to be there for you in that way which is what I think Joe, Rog- Joe, Rog- Joe Rogan was, is extraordinary. But if you're looking for like that now, he doesn't provide that level of sophisticated analytical work. I don't think he's trying to, but I don't think he does either. That's left to the Felders and the DCs. Now, he, you're right. Now he's the narrative presenter. He's the guy who synthesizes the information and puts it together in a coherent whole. And on top of that, he went from being like the guy who puts your arm around you, and now with his podcast having blown up, he's like the He's like the biggest ambassador that MMA has, for better or for worse, depending on one's perspective, certainly, but he is that. And I think from the UFC's perspective, particularly Dana, and you know their politics seem to be, in for the most part, in alignment, I think he likes some of the controversy that Joe Rogan courts. I think he likes yeah. you know, the idea that Joe Rogan sticks it to certain audiences that they don't like. So if, they're, if you're the UFC, they're not getting rid of him anytime soon. The only part that I objected to in all of this is, you know me, like I don't like MMA commentary that much anyway, not because... It's uh, universally bad. DC is, you know, a wealth of information. It's just MMA happens so fast, even the best commentators have a hard time uh, examining what they're looking at. The part that I found interesting was, like, everyone lashed out at Bloody Elbow, and then they lashed out at the idea that this question was even in play. As BC indicated, it's a small audience, and you can say their perspective is stupid, but there is a portion of the fan base that doesn't want Rogan there. Again, you can like them or hate them. You could say they're bigger or small, and they're small, but they do exist, number one. Number two, like... Dude, no one in MMA is above reproach or above questioning. You could say if you wanted to that maybe that some of the tone of the Bloody Elbow article wasn't in keeping with like a good faith approach if you wanted to say that potentially. But like the idea, like why can't we question certain things? Of course you can. Joe Rogan is so popular, like just just a mere suggestion uh, about something negative about him elicits this immediate response like oh hands off joe it's like dude joe's a grown man he can he can take criticism and if it's bad criticism it'll go away tomorrow anyway the last thing i'd say is just about bloody elbow bc now as a matter of disclosure i was the editor-in-chief there up until about 2009 2010 so it's been a long time since i worked there but the guy who runs it was the guy i used to run it with let me explain something to you about bloody elbow dude they're not going to publish things that you like all the time They're going to publish shit you hate a lot because in MMA, people do not like to question powerful figures. They do not like to raise questions about things people like. What MMA fans want from MMA media is to service their fandom. They don't want the public interest, for the most part, serviced all that much. And Bloody Elbow, like any other site, has made a fair share of mistakes. They made a fair share of mistakes when I was the one calling some of the shots over there. So, you know, mea culpa. But you need someone in this space, whether they are right or whether they are wrong, BC, to say to audiences that don't want to hear it sometimes things that they don't want to hear. I don't I mean, agree they- that the UFC should get rid of Rogan, but I um, yeah. last thing I'll say, last sentence, literally last sentence. 
I am glad there is at least one place inside MMA that is not afraid of challenging some status quo ideas. Damn right. And that place usually is called Morning Combat, but it's also Bloody Elbow as well, Luke. And I know (laughs) Brendan came out hard in support of his boy and really put it on the MMA media, but I know he's got other beefs with other guys. Uh, We're big Brendan supporters on this show. Luke, uh, you said no one in MMA is above reproach. Even me, I think our staff the other day was like ABC. You're a little too ridiculous and arrogant on these Zoom calls here. Can we can we clean it up a little bit? Can you, you know what I mean? Well, you, you just wouldn't keep stop bringing up a terrible situation. I'm like, dude, stop talking about it. And it was like this weird thing where you had pulled the string on you, and then you just had to do it. I, it was like, I you learned don't have my to lesson, Luke. I don't want to be a distraction for this show at all, Luke. Okay, I want to fuel the good times on this show. But look, if the final statement, if Joe Rogan's schedule got a little bit more refined, I think that's the best thing moving forward. I'm not with anybody saying take him off the air because of what he said about COVID. I think that's totally, like, come on. That's that's yeah. not in this conversation. It's more about performance. And I think we are seeing fighters who are, especially DC, who are figuring out how to be entertaining and educational at the same time. Yes, yes. And I would just say, uh, you know, UFC would be foolish to get rid of Rogan, but at the same time, at the MMA world, does not like having people question assumed sets yeah. of wisdom. It's okay. You know who shouldn't go anywhere? That John, John Anik shouldn't go anywhere because you know what, Luke? That guy is on the verge of becoming the best to ever do that job. Okay, I'm just letting that. I, I'm letting that I be agree. known out loud. I agree. Yeah. I completely agree. John Anik's the man. All right, we'll put that behind us. Let's go now, BC, to your portion of the show. You have talked. Let me just say this, BC. You have talked a gang of shit about how good. The wheel of death is today. Sir, it is time for you to deliver. Well, I hope it plays out like that, Luke. We did have a bonus special guest who was unable to finish and provide the video that we were looking for, Luke. But um, we still have a great group here ready. So, look, here's what we do. You know the premise. Some Wednesdays we do this great segment called the wheel of death. It's based on the idea that Luke Thomas is so, there it is, spin the black circle, is so arrogant and unwelcome to certain questions that we had to create an uncomfortable segment in which hard-hitting, sometimes ridiculous, sometimes personal questions are there. So this segment is built upon the idea of good faith responses for decently faith questions. Only for the second time ever, your boy BC spun out the Rolodex, reached out to those famous folk who have come out and said, look, I love me some MK. I love what you guys are doing and have joined forces today to create what can only be an exciting mix of the celebrity wheel. So here's how it works. Luke, I won't have long intros this time, so you're going to be very happy. Ten categories, five spins of the wheel, five celebrity questions, five actual responses from you. Let's look at the wheel. Here's your ten categories. We have Rose Before Hose, Almost Octagon, Left Wing Fighters. Wow, I don't even know if that's a thing, Luke. Dead right. Frosting the tips. Celibate Colombians. (laughs) As if that's a thing, Luke. (laughs) Sharing Dana's pie. There's there's plenty in the Catholic Church who are, you know, like nuns and shit, but okay. Fathers who care. My other job. And Luke, young lust. Luke, you get what you get. Please spin the wheel. These, These categories are... A little bit unnecessarily insulting, but okay. I'll I'll play your game. Almost Almost octagon. octagon. Luke, to ask this question, let's bring him in. 
one of the most famous voices in the history of the damn octagon. Luke Thomas, what's up, man? It's your friend, John Anik. Hope you guys are doing well. Really enjoying the show. <laughs> I have a question for you this week, and I could have gone in a number of different directions. I could have asked you about your beloved Washington football team or any of the D.C. sports teams. I could have asked you about cannabis. But I want to know, in all your time covering combat sports, whether in person or watching live at home or otherwise, what is the most concerned you have ever been for a fighter's safety. We just had a boxer die after competing in bare Ooh. knuckle. I covered a boxing death, LeVander Johnson, back in 2005. And I'm sort of forever scarred by that night back in 2005 uh, because you knew you were watching something uh, that could potentially be fatal. So appreciate the opportunity to check in with you, my man, Luke. I'm just curious, a little bit morbid, but uh, what is the most concerned in your life you have been for a fighter's safety while watching combat sports? Love you guys. Hope to chop it up with you soon. Yeah, well, John Annick's just the fucking man. I just can't say enough good things. The only can I say this? No one's perfect. The only thing about John Annick that is not perfect, he's just an over-the-top Boston sports fan, which I just can't stand. But uh, everything hey, else about him is just. How about A-okay. the merch? How about John Annick wearing the one more sleep one more merch sleep? On yeah, our yeah, show? yeah, dude. He, listen. He made it work for him. Go get checks is what I say. Go get checks. Please. Hey, folks, buy that merch, okay? Support John Anik. Please do that. Um, I guess there would be two of them. Um, there's probably been bo- – like, dude, just last week, this guy Liam Smith or Callum Smith knocked out. Jesus Christ, that was bad, you know, on uh, DAZN. Um, yeah, that was Len- Lennon Castillo got knocked out yeah, by Callum Smith. That was horrible. That was horrible. Um l- and, there, and there's been ones like the Maxim Dadashev one where, you know, you, you watch live and you just don't think anything of it. And then later on, you're like, holy shit, this guy, you know, is in the hospital and then he later dies. So, you know, there's been ones where I underrated it, too. I guess there'd be two. I was in attendance for Kimbo versus Dada. And Dada looked like I was there when they pulled him out of the ring and he just looked terrible. Um, I mean, even look, I didn't know how bad it was, he, but I was like, ugh. He, Sorry to interrupt, but he actually died in the cage, right? Didn't well, I don't know stop? if he died. His, I mean, I don't know what they, I don't know what, I don't know what the medical classification of death ultimately is. But if you're asking, did his heart stop and they had to like get it going again? Yes. Um, so yeah, that was fucking terrible. But the other one would be, believe it or not, it ended up not being that bad. Uh, but it looked really bad based on the way that he fell, which was when Nate Quarry got knocked out by Rich Franklin. And if you watch, like Nate like did one of these numbers where his he's almost like uh, doing an airplane. I, I don't mean to, to, to diminish it in any way. I'm sure it was fucking terrible, but it like when guys freeze a certain way or when the toes curl, you get a little, and that was one where I watched him fall and I immediately felt like, man, that was a mismatch. They should not have made this fight. And I was, I got real concerned when he fell the way that he did. I think he was ultimately fine. But in that moment when he was, when he was frozen like this and you could see he was labored breathing, the Rory McDonald one against Lawler was another one where I was like, Ugh, you know, fuck. These are tough ones, man. Um, so, yeah, those would yeah. be my, those would be the ones that come to mind. It's a tough question, but it's an important one. I appreciate John sending it. I, I've said before, Luke, that when I was cage side for Yuan Young Jacek versus uh, Whaley Zhang, that fifth round and, you know, Yuan's head is, you know, a I mess. mean, it, it was such a violent fight with, with no back steps that I was – I was getting pretty nervous for both. I, I I think you and I also shared in the past that uh, Mark Hunt versus Bigfoot Silva won oh around the late end of the fourth round as we were about to go to the fifth. There was so much blood and just damage that I was like, 
I, somebody should step in there. I'm, I'm uncomfortable watching this. It happens. BC, real quick, how many times have you watched a fight, either in person or on TV, and your natural reaction, based on what was happening, was where you had to watch through your fingers? Like You're, you're like, yes. Yes. Mark Hunt and uh, Bigfoot, the first one, I was just like, I could not fucking believe what these two were doing to each other. That was another one, yeah. There's a there's a there was a fight on Showtime. It was a boxing match about 2012-ish. Victor Chinian, you know the the Armenian champion. Luke, he went in there against a fellow named Victor Burgos, and uh, and just it was one side of the whole way. And I remember just having a bad feeling in my stomach. And unfortunately, Burgos afterwards, that was the last fight of his career. He suffered some some medical uh, results of that negative ones. That uh, it was just one of those where in the moment. And I, I was also unfortunately ringside for. Um, Magomed Abdusalamov in 2013 against Mike Perez, which was, you know, it led to him being paralyzed and stuff. That was another. It's tough, Luke. Is it? That's why, again, look, coming out hard against this being a dangerous sport, because it is. These sports are super dangerous. And once you, you know, John Anik was ringside when Levander Johnson died in, in boxing. When you, Once you see it once, man, it's, you know, it's. Whew. All right, it's Luke. Day, it's day uh, that was a serious question and a serious answer. Let's get back to the wheel, Luke. It's time for spin number two. I like the celebrity edition better. <laughs> A little less BC. Hey, dead wrong. No, it's dead right, Luke. And speaking of dead, let's bring in one of my favorite musicians, the bassist of Dead & Company, formerly of the Allman Brothers and O'Teal & Friends. It's O'Teal Burbridge coming in for this one. Dear Luke. You say you don't believe in superstitions. I take it that you mean you don't believe in anything that cannot be proven objectively by the scientific method. But if objective truth exists, then might subjective truths also exist? Isn't love, in fact, a perfect example of a subjective truth? Even scientific materialists probably love somebody, but they can't prove that love exists objectively. In fact, don't all concepts of morality exist only as subjective truths? And aren't all of our laws an attempt to impose these subjective truths on our objective reality? And lastly, would love qualify as another superstition? Sincerely, O'Teal Burbridge. Luke, O'Teal going deep here on you. Yeah, there's a lot there. I don't know if I can remember the entirety of the question, but no, there's a lot there that I wouldn't say is not true. Like love uh, as a concept is simply a word that we ascribe to a series of uh, both emotions you could measure based on some biological responses, but also more than that about what it results in terms of um, familial care, uh, self-care, romantic relationships, uh, child reproduction, although they're not uh, exclusively related to that, but they often can be over overlapped. That's simply a name that we give to some of these associations and how we identify their strengths. But he is right that yes, um, I, by 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 superstitions, I don't necessarily mean anything that you can't get through objectively from the scientific m method. Although I suppose maybe you end up there. I merely mean something that posits a supernatural explanation for natural phenomenon like you know is there why, why is the podcast constantly featuring fighters that ultimately lose there's probably a lot of reasons for that but the one that i can't sign on to is that there's some mystical force guiding it right so that's sort of the point but about the the last thing you said about aren't the laws uh this imposition of subjective truths onto objective reality again i have to have a, a deeper conversation with him to know exactly what he means but not necessarily like there are some ways to think about which societies 
you would rather live in and how they prioritize what they spend money on and how they organize themselves. Namely, if you had a society based, based on um, some kind of restrictive monastic religion versus one that identified some measures of human flourishing as achievable and laudable goals, you're going to get higher literacy rates on one side. You're going to get women who can contribute to society. You're going to have a better democratic process simply by orienting along something that um, rewards the, the the challenges and then the the needs of the human experience versus something else. I don't know that that is the imposition of subjective experiences onto objective law. It seems to me quite the opposite. It seems to me writing at scale policies which tend to produce um, better outcomes for the human experience. So Wow. Yeah. All I can say is thank you to the professors at William & Mary because, Luke, I have no idea what he just asked you and I have no idea what you answered, but it was really fun hearing uh, the two of you converse. You know, I, I would mean, have to hear more because there's a lot. He, he baked in a lot, and I, I, it's hard for me to get to all of it. All right. Is love subjective, Luke? Is it a superstition? I guess not. All right. It's not a superstition, but what, what we call it isn't exactly what it is kind of a thing. So he's, he's on to something there. Okay. Okay. Very interesting there, Luke. All right. Hey, I told you we're going deep today with these questions. You're God not damn. saying no, no one asking like, what's your favorite set of cleavage you liked when you were 19? Yeah. Like what I, I, John Anik was like, what kind of questions do you want? I'm like, you know, ask him what song was on the radio the first time he got to second base. You know, that's what I, that's what I expect from people, but they brought it this time, Luke. All right. All right hey, all let's right. get on over. Thank you. O'Teal for that one. Let's get on over to spin number three. Hey, sharing, sharing Dana's, Dana's pie. <laughs> Some, something the UFC not always willing to do with the fighters. Luke, we went into the world of professional football to draft Springfield Mass's own and former L.A. Chargers wide receiver coach. No and you way. may remember this guy from tearing some ass on Hard Knocks a couple yeah. years ago. Here's the Irishman himself, Phil McKagan. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jamaican Irish. Luke in BC, what's going on? On your way to 100K. My question for the Wheel of Death has to do with fighter pay. So as we know, the UFC had a record year in 2020, grossing about 900 million in revenue. We also know that 20% of that money goes to fighter pay. If we bumped it to 23%, that's an additional 27 million, that's where our hypothetical question comes into play. If you were Dana White, Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby, how would you distribute that additional 27 million to the fighters. A couple of suggestions would be a signing bonus on your second contract, very similar to other sports leagues. 
Uh, also, a $150,000 bonus, say, for the first time and only once when you crack the top 15, and maybe a longevity bonus of 10 fights or so, you get another low six-figure uh, bonus when you hit 10 fights. These are just suggestions, just a couple of talking points to get you going. Really curious to hear what some of your suggestions may be. A lot of people complain about fighter pay, but they don't have any suggestions. So I wanna seek some solutions and I wanna see what you guys have to say. And you cannot spend any of this money on BC's fatty liver, reform school or cotillion or anything that he may need to clean up some of his rough edges. So again, congratulations on all your success. Love the show, big fan. All right, MK, nearly every day. That's Luke, great. I called him. I called him L.A. Rams. It was L.A. Chargers. I dead wrong myself in real life there. Uh, but yeah. Phil played played two seasons in the NFL, an alumni of the University of Maine. Big time fan of the show. Appreciate him wearing that shirt. But Luke, that's a good question. What do you do with that three percent? Where do you share that? Yeah. Well, let me just say one thing. He did. He may not like this answer, but I think it's the one. It's the one I've been giving a long time, which is. There used to, I've said this before, there used to be a credible argument that could be made about MMA media that they were ignoring fighter pay realities in favor of access or whatever. They just weren't doing the job. But that changed over the course of the years. They actually really did the job in a very, very thorough way uh, at this point. Some more sturdily than others, but you know, they, it's not a secret anymore about what's happening, right? So in that sense. But what ends up happening is when the MMA media has to do that job, which I think, again, they rightfully did, but at some point what you end up seeing is like, that the media's job is to always advocate for higher fighter pay. And I got to tell you, like, I don't want that job anymore. I mean, I will, I will continue to kind of do it in the sense that I feel like it's necessary. But, like, you know, what should happen when a fighter does something from a disciplinary perspective that means that they should get in trouble? You know who should answer that one? Is the fighters fucking union, right? In the NFL, all this shit is handled by the union, whether it's disciplinary stuff, whether it's uniform stuff, whether it's minimum salaries, whether it's what you get on the practice squad, what you get in bonuses, what you get on game checks, all that shit is handled by the NFL PA, which is exactly how it should be. The media should be the one sort of uh, observing from afar. So my first answer is I wish someone else would handle this because I don't want to be the guy to make this call. Forced to make the call, which is the spirit of are. the question. Yeah, if you you've got 27 million, if you've got 27 million, there's a lot of different ways you could cut it. Um, you could go all in on a big fight that you really, really wanted. Let's say, you know, I don't know what they want to do with John Jones now that he's got these criminal charges, but before that, you know, could you do that to make the fight with Francis? Pour an extra $10 million on it and put the seven into whatever you want, right? That's one way. That's one answer you could go about doing, but do you really want to do that? Probably not. I think the way to, to maybe think about it is they always like to distribute things at scale rather than going all, uh, like all in on this or all in on that. Um, I think what they could probably do is oh, actually, you know what? One more caveat: they could put the twenty-seven million into overseas development, like find another country upon which to begin to plant some seeds about, um, you know, creating facilities. It would cost more than twenty-seven million, but you know, you could put that as a down payment or something. But the way I would handle it is, if you have twenty-seven million, that's about two million a month. It's a little bit more than two million a month, so you have a million extra every two weeks to give away. I think you create all kinds of incentives on fight cards to give it away, all different manner of uh, performance bonuses and uh, rewards, and you just go on. If you want to buy yourself publicity from the faithful of MMA, which again, Dana's like, hey, if these fighters don't want to say how much they make because they don't want family members harassing them, like a completely illegitimate way to not pay guys more, right? 
But can you imagine Uncle Dana with a wheelbarrow rolling in there with cash, handing out like Christmas, like my dad you handing get out cash? Yeah, dude, you get cash. Like, think about it. It sounds crude, but like my dad handing out Roy Rogers coupons on Halloween. Right, just showing up like your Michigan J Frog strutting down, and you did this for a year on every fight card. They would fucking they would call you the king for life doing something like that. You just gave away twenty seven million. You didn't have to give away. You did it in the most showy, demonstrable way possible. Dude, the dividends that that would pay forward that for that audience and for the fighters who just you know believe that they're entitled to not make more for whatever reason. Oh my god, you wouldn't hear union talk for ten years after that. Yeah, I, I would much rather have this pay this. Let's say this was some kind of compromise like Phil put out there. And he's right. Not very few people have answers on this. They just want to complain. But if I would think UFC would be, you know, there's going to be some until a full union and a walkout happens, which, you know, who knows if it ever would, Luke. There's got to be some smaller compromises along the way that'll help PR and help the fighters feel better. I would want it to go to the middle class and lower class above you know, throwing an extra $10 million to make a super fight happen. Because at the end of the day, UFC knows they can just wait these people out and they're going to want to eventually fight anyway. So um, if you could even be really selfish and make it all finish performance-based, like you're saying. Like, basically, you get a finish, you get an additional 25000 You know what I mean? Like, above, mm-hmm. the, the, above the win bonus, above the submission of the night bonus. I mean, there are ways that you can do it. That look, I, I can't, I can't see any more of these stories and not feel any worse of fighters who can't pay for a training camp, can't pay for an elite training camp, so they can become an elite fighter to try to actually make enough money to quit their job at the airport. You know what I'm saying, Luke? Yeah, you got to give them. You got to show up with a stack of cash, and then they're, you know, they're like Dave Chappelle. They're like wiping their tears away with $100 bills and that kind of thing. You do that, and I'm telling you, man, you make a big demonstration out of it, and that's what you have to do. You got to show up with like the clear suitcase with just money stacked on the inside. People would lose their shit. I guarantee yeah. it. Hey, shout out to our guy Phil McKagan there, former uh, standout in uh, high school, standout at Agawam, Mass., not far from where I grew up, Luke. There was a park called Riverside there, a nice amusement park that eventually became a slick Six Flags. Uh, Phil and I, you know, we're from the same area. We're, we're cut from almost the same cloth, Luke. Are you? Although he resides in Cali now, but yeah. yeah. You were you were nice almost man. the wide receivers coach on Hard Knocks for the LA I think Chargers? Of all NFL position, position coaches, Phil is the most factory town MMA ready. You know what I'm saying? See, I, I disagree. I think if you're – he was a wide receivers coach, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I was going to say the quarterback coach is the overrated one. They're the ones that end up going like – QB coach, offensive coordinator, head coach. And you're like, why is this fucking guy head coach? Oh, because yeah. he was a quarterback coach for blah, blah, blah at Clemson or whatever. You know, but wide receiver, you got to earn your, you got to earn your, your, your dinner every night. Bill's so going to be a head coach one day. I saw him on hard knocks. He was, oh, yeah. he was, no, he's, he's, he's built, he's okay. built for it. He's built for it with, with maple syrup or jelly. Yeah. All right, Luke, two more spins to go on today. How are we doing up to this point? Luke? we're doing good. Not so bad. Not so bad. Okay. Okay. Two spins left, Luke. You get what you get. Here we go. All right. Come on, non-passive aggressive title. Oh, the worst one. Oh, fathers who care. At least one thing we can guarantee, Luke, is that your father won't be asking a question right now. But I did find a <laughs> father on, who you, does you care, D, Luke. Did you DM him? 
No, I did not. I mean, I, you know, I tried to go through your brother that time. He don't want anything to do with me. Maybe no. I'll track your sister down. Your Dude, sister. literally, Hulsey, I had my dad. I, I FaceTimed my dad so he could talk to his granddaughter. This was two days ago. I swear to God, this is true. And then I told him, like, because I hadn't talked to him in like a week or something. And I told him, I was like, hey, I'm going to the Canelo fight for Showtime. And, you know, uh, we should be able to get a sit down with him. And the first fucking word out of oh, his yeah. mouth was, oh, yeah, if you're going to go to Vegas, can you check in on one of my rental properties? Yeah, and I was care. like, wow. Okay. Come on, Dad. Come on, Rob Thomas, right? You know what I mean? I know you're not crazy. You are just a little unwell, though. All right, Luke, I found a father who does care. Let's hear from him right now. Dear Brian, dear Luke, <laughs> considering the name of this segment, I'm not sure how my question fits in. It feels kind of like bringing cotton candy to a Burzum concert. My question is, which was the first word that your children said, besides mommy and daddy, and why? As in... Where do you think they heard that word? In Luke's case, I think it's fair game to split the question into two. Which was the first English word and which was the first Spanish word that Violeta said? And for extra points, which was the first word you said when you were kids? Mine was moon in my native tongue of Greek. Thank you for taking my question and have a great celebrity wheel of death. First words. <laughs> Look, Web Scream is a very uh, loquacious fellow. You know he's the Greek voice of the Waze app? I do know that, yes. I don't know if the audience yes. does, but yes. Um, first word in Spanish and English. Well, for sure her first word, and my wife would verify this, was Papa. Papa was the first oh. word. Is that for you or for your dad? What is no, it? for me. For me. Okay. The That's sweet. first... Yeah, it was very sweet. The first word beyond that... I'm trying to remember. I think it was um, a sentence, really, which was, are you okay? She, she kind of got through with that. Like, individual words she knew, a comma, which is bed, she knew. Um, English. Her first, her first I'm not... paragraph was, what are all those loud noises in Uncle Felipe's room? <laughs> he's just doing work, sweetie. That's all he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> he's just laying pipe. He's a plumber. Yeah, he's um, he's with the pipe fitters union. Yeah, sweetie. he's with the Please. pipe fitters yeah. union. That's right. Steam steam fitters uh, local two five three. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Trying to think first English word beyond that. What? Oh, I know. Um, it was cream, which was short for ice cream. Oh, she loves okay. who? What kid doesn't? But she loves ice cream, and it was cream. I thought cream. you were going to say she was a. A huge Prince and the New Power Generation fan, Luke. A little cream. Get she might. On top. She might be. She might be. But more to the point, she likes gelato, which is ice cream. So I think it was those. Okay. Yeah. Luke, my first word was dad. It was also the first words of my two sons. What about you? Do you did they tell you what your first word was, Luke? Luke, help. Was that your first word? Probably suck my balls. Something awesome <laughs> like that. Oh, Gaff and Corey chiming in with ass barf. Yes, Dude, that was your. I'll first. never forget. This is a true story. I remember. I remember my like second grade was a real wake up call to the fact that my parents had been shielding me because I went to Watkins Elementary, which now I'm told is much nicer. But when I went in Washington D.C., it was not money. And I remember like my first year of like second grade, someone had said to the words I'd never even heard this before, like "Yo, suck my dick." And at the time, I was like, you know how old you are in second grade. That was such a concept, like mind-bending, 
moment. I was like, wow, I'd never even like thought of that before. That is, yeah, yeah. that's really yeah. something. That's that's out there. I, I remember in my elementary school when we when the bushes when we found a magazine that was showing pictures of that action you just articulated for the first time, and it's like. That's the moment you lost your innocence and you'll never forget that gross feeling of seeing those pictures for the first time, Luke. You know what I mean? Mm. Yes. Yikes. All right. Shout out to the great web scream, though, over there in Italy and his newborn son, Petros. We're, we're big fans on this side of the pond. All right, Luke, one more. You get what you get. We have one more celebrity waiting. Let's do this. Come on, big booty Latin. Oh, wait, not this time. Okay. Didn't you take that off? My other job. Uh, no, Luke, this isn't a question about you needing us to rush the show so you can get on over to Sirius XM. Those days are long over, Luke. Oh, but here's a familiar face from our travels on CBS Sports HQ. I'll let you know trivia-wise. The first African, North African-born man oh. to ever host SportsCenter. <laughs> He's Libya's own... Hakeem. Hakeem Dermish. Luke, I know that you've already been asked what job would you do if you weren't a combat sports analyst and you'd be a soccer analyst. If it were me, I'd be a Major League Baseball umpire. Ready for this? Three! Right there. But since that question has already been asked, I'll come up with another one because that's my job to ask questions. So, here it is. If you could choose to coach any UFC fighter, which fighter would you choose to coach? And by the time you were done coaching them, that person, he or she, would they be a big underdog or a heavy favorite come fight night? Wow. Hmm. Look, how about how about Hakeem with the punch out there? Heavy, that, yeah, you know? yeah, you know what? He lets those authoritative threes be known. Um, um what fighter would I coach? Jesus, I am woefully unprepared for that job. Um, you know what I would well, so do? Was, so was Coach Latori, Luke, but she pulled it off to the record of one and one, okay? I'll tell you what I would do, and I'd make this real simple. Uh, Max. Max Holloway. Max Holloway would be the guy I coach because, BC, mm. um, if I, I'm not saying I have like a, the lock on anyone's game, but if I have one on someone in MMA, I feel like I've got a pretty good, pretty good, idea of what he's doing also with max dude he's a little bit on autopilot that's that's a very much an oversimplification i do think his corners and and his trainers and his coaches are you know uh, gracie technics ivan flores all those guys are just amazing they're amazing but max is you know he's experienced at this point right been a champion stopped jose aldo twice like holds all these records you know best boxer in MMA. He's taking the best boxer in mma does he really need a ton of my help. I don't think he needs a ton of my help. So, um, or the other way to do it, BC, you know what? Cause let me correct that. <laughs> let me correct the record. You know who I would coach? Cause I couldn't do shit all for them. Who pays the biggest cutout to their coach? That's what I want to know. So oh, guess wow. I would be like Connor's coach and just let him win or lose. But then I just get a big ass check. That's what I would Th do. That's already what John Cavanaugh does, right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I would do that. I would do that because I'm not going to help you win. You're asking if they're going to be underdog. Well, probably the you know Max would be the favorite, Connor would be the favorite, or something like that. But uh, I'm trying to get that. Luke, I would check. obviously. I like that. I like that question. Uh, I would obviously coach uh, Yoana. 
I mean, let's be let's be realistic here, right? You know what I mean? We'd both be winners, though. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Yes, yes. By the way, WebScream chiming in in real time from Italy, Luke, saying when when Violetta first said "cream," it was obviously short for WebScream. So that that's uh... yeah. I don't think that was it. All right, Luke, that's the Celebrity Wheel of Death this week. You ever you ever want to do it again? What do you think? Yeah, I do. I like Celebrity Wheel of Death. It was like it started it started good, but a little as they might say in the household of William Buckley Jr., lugubrious. It was a little lugubrious to start, but um it turned around and it was a happy affair by the end. We got to see her special thanks call strike out. Yeah, special thanks to all five of our celebrities, Luke, you know, for chiming in this week, helping us out. Making this segment great again after, you know, we've hit some 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 dead dead ends with this segment, Luke. I don't know if it still has life. In person, it's wonderful, although the UFC weigh-in show has kind of stolen our thunder. Although, Luke, in fairness, people say we stole this from um, a few different shows, including Bilal Muhammad's podcast. So if that's the case, Luke, it's, you know, what do they say? Uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery? Yes, that's what they say. Okay, well, that's what they say, all right? So shout out to all our favorite celebrities there for chiming in. Thank you. Luke, can't wait to get you to a Dead & Company concert so we can hang out with O'Teal and John Mayer. Yeah, he seems great, Weir actually. He's like he's one of our better fa- uh, fans of the show. We can talk bad about, uh, you know, death metal and stuff. It's going to be fantastic. He, he will be more on my side than you think. I guarantee it. I can't wait till we all hang out, okay? I can't wait fun. till we, we test out. We, yeah, and we all have to wear drug rugs and smell like fentanyl. I would love that. I'd love if we just jam out together, Luke. Okay, I'll be the lead singer. You can play belly drums like my dad's famous for. Yeah, Luke. Okay. All right, Luke. That's that wheel of death for the week. But we have another segment we do for fun. The email address to insert is called morningcombat at gmail.com. Dead wrong on Friday, but Wednesdays are reserved for you to send in your artwork, your animations, your pictures of you and your significant others wearing our clothing. It's called Fan Submissions. Whoop, whoop. We've got mail. All right, Luke, let's see how many of these folks were there January 6th. We start with Ryan. Hey, Luke and Brian, a wee pick of me and my new Donk Army t-shirt at my in-laws restaurant here in South Korea, Luke. Wow. Love the show. Listen to it every day to and from work. Cheers to both of you. It's Ryan. This guy's got a lot of soul, brother. Yes. Yes. Bro, dude, he's got the blow that picture up for just a second. Let me see that thing. Is it my imagination or is he wearing army fatigues for pants? I think they're shorts. They could have like paint stains on them, Luke. I'm not really sure, but He's looking good in armor. Look, we have fans in South Korea. Holy crap. Yeah, dude, I'm dying to go to South Korea. It looks awesome. I really want to go. Congrats to this dude. Would you go to North Korea, Luke? Uh, I might go to like the DMZ to take a look. I don't have a hankering to go see a place like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering. What do you think Ryan's story is, Luke? Why is he there? Bro, look at he him might... closely. You think he's on the run from like like... Creditors or something? Do you think he was 
No, I, I, no, no. Yeah, it could be Luke. I was, I, you know, we have no, we have no place for Brian Laundry jokes here or or Pat Tillman. Okay, let's keep it going here, Luke. All right. Uh, Joshua slides in, says, "Hey guys, my daughter just lights up when Luke brings his own daughter on the show. Yeah. Love your show. Can't wait for the new content to drop, Luke. If you're ever in San Luis Obispo area, Obispo. let's get lit on pre-workout and crush some max deads. I don't know what that means, Luke, but look at this beautiful girl." She's very cute, and then she sees Violetta, and she loves her. That's very sweet. The guy has Uncle good, BC, Uncle BC sliding in there. Yeah, good cable man. Great cable man. Sa right, Luke? San Luis Obispo is where Chuck Liddell is from. Yes, yes, he is. Remember when they every sentence was like Chuck Liddell, who has a accounting degree. Remember back yes. in those days when it was like we are not savages; we just have mohawks with head tats. Luke, yes. um, big fan of Joshua and his family here. A uh, lot of talk that, you know, my fun and games did stop VO from crying for that short few seconds, Luke. Yeah, I'm sure it was not resting on her father, but your nonsense that really did the, uh, the trick. I can't wait to meet her, Luke. Um, did, is she okay? Did you get to the root of the problem? She's fine. She's fine. She's just, she came back. Apparently she came back from the park and wanted to play with some kid's toy. And uh, yeah. we're like, you, you have to share. And she yeah. had, you know, a two-year-old fit about it. What are you going to do? She's a big Splash Pad fan, you know? Big, big Who time. isn't? All right. Who isn't, PC? Hey, hey, Norman has three photos for us to look at. He says, here's some fan subs from P1's Bill and Jen. Wow, who's no? Why is Norman sending in some Bill and Jen? I'm down with it though. Okay, here's Jen at the Mesa Arch, Luke. Bill and Jen continuing their West Coast tour of the national parks, Canyonlands. Okay, this is a uh, Mesa Verde, Canyonlands, and Arches National Park. So Luke, they they did the tour there of Colorado, of Utah. There's mm. Bill at Glacier in Montana. Mm. Look, I love these two. When are we gonna get these two on the show, right? We gotta do. We have. We should get in an RV and do MK on the road for like six weeks and see if we kill each other. That would be great. That would be actually. Speaking of the whole Gabby Petito unfortunate situation, I hope Bill, Bill and Jen could have been on the scene as live corresponders for us, Luke. I know, an opportunity missed. Way to go, Bill and Jen. Yes, yes. Uh, continue your tour of the. If they ever make it to the East Coast, Luke, like Jersey City area, we gotta have these these two on the rooftop. Or you know what I'm saying. Uh, I'll probably ignore and walk past them and not say hi because that's what I like to do. But yes, that's a good idea. Yeah. Fine Americans, as you would say, Bill and Jen. Thank you, Norman, for sharing these pics. Love, love our friends there wearing our merch out there in the great wild west of our country. All right, Luke, here's Arthur. He says, hey, hey, MK team, this meme is made to honor Luke's feelings about the resume review curse. Can we zoom in, please? I don't get it. We they're they're saying let's do a resume review on planet Earth. Then it leads to the end of the world, and then Luke is still not willing to admit that the resume review is real. Is that the joke? That's there? what that's that's the joke. It's well done, Luke. It's well played by Arthur. See, I don't think it's well played. I think it's done quite poorly, but uh appreciate you sending it in just the same. Do you think they call him Artie the one man party? Only when he's got tight shorts on. 
Yeah, those guys usually end up in jail, guys that are named that. All right, Jose A is here. He says, hey, Donks, it's Jose Afonso once again, your number one fan from Brazil, <laughs> with another meme. While I don't believe in curses, I do find it fascinating and hilarious that this streak is still going. I would also like to clarify one thing for Mr. Thomas. Even though I used a Pepe meme last time, it had no political connotation whatsoever. I'm fully uh. vaccinating and raiding the Capitol building is not one of my hobbies. Candidly, it's Jose. All right, blow this one up because this one looks pretty good. The curse of resume review. She wants your winning streak. Who is that upside down? Is it me? It's you, Luke, in like a uh, Jedi pose or something. Yeah. Uh, not bad. Not bad. This one's better. Okay. I like the okay. BC, like the thousand yard stare you got going there on the right. I think Jose Afonso, like the rapey French teacher David Appleton, is becoming a regular in these parts, like Dickles and Web Scream, right? Yes, maybe I don't know if he's a French rapist. Perhaps he's a different kind, but um, they seem to be followers of our work, unfortunately. <clears throat> Some people hate this segment. I don't get it, Luke. It's very masturbatory from us, but that's what we do, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're going to come, right? I mean, come on. All right, Sean's here. He says, what's up, guys? I'm an illustrator from Ireland. Y'all recently spoke about a former supergroup band. I figured this <laughs> band would need some album art. Couple of merged memes here. Piece this together while watching Doc 5. Cheers, and thanks for all the great content. Can we blow this up here? Vulgar display of anger. That is fucking great. So is that a Saint Anger meets Pantera? It's a Saint Anger meets Pantera meets Tip to Tip, it looks like. Wow. With a middle finger, too. Wow. Yeah. That is just that's, it's just that's excellent. That's pretty metal right there. That's yeah, just that's excellent. Metal. This should be the That's logo of all the documentaries. Yeah, I agree. A lot of talk about Doc Six, Luke. Going to be filmed in Vegas ahead of, around the uh, Canelo fight. Could oh, be interesting. God, kill me. Look, right. Doc Five is a critical and dare I say commercial success. Although, Luke, can you answer this for me real quick? Mm. We got almost a hundred thousand subscribers. How come we can't get more than twenty-seven thousand people to click play? Like, is there really? two-thirds of our fan base that won't even try that shit? They won't yeah. even, like, attempt to hit the button? Yes. I don't get that. I don't quite get it either, except that's just the way our audience works, bro. I don't know. I don't... The answer is yes, but I don't have a good answer for yes, if that makes sense. All right. All right. Hey, Shane's back. He says, I'm a Baltimorean here. Aye, good show, guys. Let's cut to the chase. Pull back on the docks. Three in one year in retrospect is enough. <laughs> Plowing ahead. Next time I'll have something for the mathlete. This time here's something for the mathlete. P.S. If Luke Thomas does turn up, the gain on his live chat does not turn up. I'm going to drive to D.C. and bowling ball his leather Cheerio. Cheers from Baltimore. Luke, what does bowling ball your Cheerio mean? I don't know. Something that people from Baltimore say when they're done cleaning Old Bay off of their fingernails. Um Okay. So, so is this supposed to be an Iron Maiden thing? That's uh, Call Me Crazy BC on a Morning Combat Iron Maiden cover. That's interesting, Luke. A straight jacket. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's, it's aggressive, but I know, like the Morning you. Combat lettering. I don't like the Call Me Crazy lettering. Okay. Okay. Right. It's good. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, we got one more, Luke. This is from now. Remember the guy that gave us the shoey, the shoe. Jaime? Is it Jamie or Jaime? I don't know. It's Jaime. It's but, Jaime. Hey, guys, this is the Shoey Donk. Made a quick trip to Vegas and had to stop by the Bet MGM Sportsbook and Bar where you guys nice. held the live show. 
for 264. Still rocking the shoes and putting them to use. 100% willing to donate them to the new studio. Yes! Keep up the great content. You guys rock. Luke, this fella Jaime, who allowed us to contract a few different venereal diseases from his shoe, I that's the best idea I ever heard. I would actually love to like frame that shoe in like a glass box. Yes. I think that is a perfect idea. We absolutely need to add it to uh, our eventual new studio. Although I would say, you know, I guess he has different shoes on. I'm assuming he's not wearing these. Because I'd oh, say, he dude, wore as him. much you as tell he wore him. Yeah, I was going to say, as much as I appreciate you buying merch, maybe don't buy our merch and get some new shoes that, you know, can't, that, that can't. I mean, look at this thing. I think it enter a rap battle. It's got a mouth so wide open. Um, it, you know. Go get some Skechers or something. Okay, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jaime, if that's your real name, for wearing that merch right there. You look great in it and for revisiting the scenes of the crime. Look, I did get some feedback here, some honest feedback from people that attended our live show. And while they said they had a great time, they, they ate the cake, they were part of our celebration, they said it was really hard to hear the show yes. while there. We so did we not. Need to we, either... Unfortunately, yeah, we never broadcasted to the house. We need to make sure that when we do that show again, we we do that. They're requesting that we move it to the back corner or something. You know, we can only do what we do. Look, I'm only the host, okay? Yeah, I was surprised they put us where they put us, but it was pretty nice, actually. That, it worked out in the end, but they're right. Like, if we're going to do that show, we can't just broadcast to the people on YouTube and have a live show and with a live audience. You have to be able to broadcast to the live audience, so... We'll work on that for next time. We'll work on that for next time. All right. Well, we have a, we will officially be in Las Vegas for Canelo. We will be shooting a doc. I hope we can do another live show there, Luke, if anyone wants to get their travel plans in order to be there. And also, Luke, we have a resume review cooking. It's cooking right now. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. It's put, the, the train. It's going to put this shit to the test. Okay? The, the pain train doesn't stop, BC. It does not You're, quit. O'Teal's going to find out along with us whether you believe in things that are subjective, Luke, or superstitious, okay? Because if the, if the person that we're reviewing loses, this curse is, is, is it's, it's alive and well, Luke, okay? Uh, if he, I'll be surprised if he loses. Yes, I would be very surprised. But um, the thing I'm worried about for that weekend is most of our audience's MMA fans, like if we go to Canelo Fight Week, on the same way time of UFC fight week, how many MMA fans do you think would be there in Vegas at that time? It's a fair question. I'd like to see if we have a large amount of Las Vegas based listeners. I'm not really sure, Luke. I know we had a few local local folks stop by, but I don't know. I don't know that no one. The worst thing you could do, Luke, is have a live show and have nobody show up, right? Yeah, that'd be bad. That'd be really bad. But yeah. we may be staring down the barrel of that gun, BC. That's we. Have, that's an okay. unknown future we have to face. Well, maybe you know we don't have to do that. We have a lot of plans for that week, Luke. I mean, I want to. I want to take pregame preview to the next level in Vegas. You know what I'm saying, Luke? I want to go where no men have gone before. Willing. Does that mean we have to bang afterwards or something? <laughs> we got to go further. I mean, what more do you want me to do? Yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. All right, folks, that's our show for today. Thank you. Uh, okay, I want to thank everyone who watched. By the way, if you want to send in your fan subs or your dead wrongs, morningcombat at gmail.com. Morningcombat at gmail.com. That is going to be the place to get all of that in. Uh, BC, morningcombat.store. 
that's going to be the place for all kinds of stuff, not limited to, namely, all the stuff he's wearing there and whatnot. Mugs, hats, shirts, you name it, morningcombat.store. Uh, Showtime.com, you want to get a 30-day free trial, you certainly can do that. Go to Showtime.com and uh, you can try it for 30 days. If you like it, keep it. If not, go pound sand. And of course, BC, it should not be forgotten that two of boxing's biggest heavyweights are in Vegas to battle it out for the third time. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting new customers in the center of this weekend's bout with a can't-miss offer. Bet just $1 and win 100 in free bets if either boxer lands a punch. Watch the fist fly this Saturday as these guys turn their bad blood into your payday. Just that's a little grim. Just one, I bet one dollar on the boxer that you think will win the main event, and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you a hundred bucks free in bets if either lands a punch. DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the code Combat Combat with a K to use uh, to turn excuse me one dollar into a hundred in free bets if either main event boxer lands a punch. That code is Combat this Saturday. Only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. Yeah, BC use that thoughts. code. Combat with a K, folks. Please support what we're doing here. The great folks at DraftKings. We know that you love fights. Why not sprinkle a little, you know, a little extra on it? It's like it's like when you'd go in your in your bong closet in college and you'd find like, oh, there, oh, I, there's some resin here. Let me, let me, you know, let me, let, you know what I'm saying, Luke? Mm-hmm. It's a little, a little of that shit yeah, on top. Okay. Yeah, a little bit of that, a little bit of that good, good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Tell tell them BC sent you. All right. Hey, thanks you, thank you as well, Luke, to our five celebrities who uh, who sent in this week. Uh, hopefully, Luke, you want to? I'll do this again. I'll do this again in a couple weeks. Okay? I like those. I like those. Yeah, those are nice. Those okay. are good ones. You did a good job with All that, right. BC. I commend you for it. Good job. Thank you. All right, like the video, hit subscribe. We are back on Friday. We will get you ready for all the weekend's fights, 11 a.m. in the East. Hit us up if you have any questions between now and then on social media or at the uh, aforementioned email addresses. Give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts if you have not done so. So, for Malka, Showtime, CBS Sports, the King of Connecticut himself, Brian Campbell, I'm Luke Thomas. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.